Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, Greg Murphy and um, Kevin Stocker, somebody did call it. We'll get to that in just a moment. But good morning, everybody. It is a gorgeous Sunday morning in the Delaware Valley. I'm Glenn Macknell, along with my pal Jody McDonald, who... Jody, you stayed up to 2.30 watching college football. Is that correct? I would say I probably nodded out about 2.20-something. It wasn't quite 2.30. Oh, but it was after 2 o'clock. I'm on the air on CBS Sports Radio on Saturday night till 2. I'm usually in bed by 2.02 and hopefully asleep by 2.10. Oh, no, I was up watching the end of the Colorado-Colorado State game, which ended is somewhere around 220 would be my guess. Uh, and it was a game worth staying up for. But, yeah, I, I try and get to bed as soon as I finish up my show. Couldn't do that last night because of the length of last night's game. All right. So, they, as they sometimes say about Major League starters, Jody is, go, is going today on short rest. So. Uh, a little bit on the short rest, but I'm sucking it up and getting uh, it done. I know. Have faith I, in I, me, I big guy. Yep, I a cup of coffee, whatever, some <laughs> little energy. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it going until actually about one thirty-five today because a little bit of a longer show we get to do today. Phillies play in St. Louis, uh, start a little bit after 2 o'clock, so that means we get to stay on there a little bit longer. We're going to get to the Eagles in all aspects of that win over Minnesota in a couple minutes, a 2-0 record despite a lot of people with a lot of worries, but Jody and I are – Well, we're two seam heads, so excuse us if we spend the first few minutes going through last night's Phillies game and its ramifications. I love when we can come on the next morning and talk about an interesting game. So, last night, Jody, game two of the series in St. Louis, perfect Saturday night viewing. Again, I know you had radio duties and watching college football all day. I went out to dinner, came back, just put that game on and really enjoyed it as the Phillies. Uh, entered the game with a four-game lead in the wild card, going against Miles Michaelos, who shaved his beard. They let you know that. First inning, Trey Turner doubles. Bryce Harper strikes out. Two outs. Here comes Jody's favorite, Alec Bohm. 1-1 pitch. Swung on. Line drive in the left field. That's going to be in for a base hit. Trey Turner's rounding third. Here comes the throw to the plate. It's cut off, and they're going to get Alec Bohm caught up over first. But... The run will score. Trey Turner crosses home plate. Now, Jody, from the start of the season, you predicted a good year for Alec Bohm. Mm-hmm. That's his 90th RBI. He's got an outside shot at 100. He gets, you know, gets gets hot, real hot. How would you classify the season he has had? Yeah, Bohm needs like a three or four RBI day, and then he's got the shot at 100. But even if he does, 
if he ends up with 95 RBIs, how many people were projecting or predicting 95 RBIs for uh, Alec Bohm Alex Alec this year? Very few. Very yeah. few were going down that road. So uh, you're asking me what kind of a year I think Alec Bohm has had? Yeah. Outstanding is the first word that comes to mind. Okay. I don't really disagree with you. Maybe one notch below outstanding, but but very, very, very good. No problem. B+. Plus. So I'm looking on baseball reference this morning, and it, it, I do not understand people who swear by this statistic of war. I'm just looking at Alec Bohm's stats because I wanted to have this discussion. So do you realize that according to war, he's only the 20th best player on the team this year? His war is 0.5. I swear to God... He's below guys you don't even know are here. I don't know that you can explain it. I don't know what your thoughts are on statistics and all that. But I just looked that up and like, what the hell is that about? My thoughts are I think that there is way too much emphasis put on war, which is a somewhat subjective. Uh, I think the reason you use analytics is to try and lessen the subjective. But I think with war, there is a significant. Uh, subjective quotient that I just can't agree with if you've got Alex Pope as the 20th best player on the Philadelphia Phillies this year. That's ludicrous as far as I'm concerned. And one of my main knocks against war is I think they put too much of an emphasis on defense. Uh There's just too heavy-handed a defensive element to war. And maybe I'm trying to figure it out because I just uh, the number you just threw out there, the 20th best player is I, I can't even begin to wrap my head around. The only thing I can think of is that maybe if you play two positions that somehow they penalize you for that. I, I don't know. I have no basis to believe that. And by the way, when you say subjective, I don't I don't think it's subjective. I think they throw a bunch of numbers into a hopper and this is what they come up with. But you're right. It's subjective in terms of how they choose to weigh the numbers. But everybody's – it's subjective every way for the same person. But it's like I don't get it, I, and I know I don't really want to get bogged down on it, but he, he's, got a, he's got a lower war than Johan Rojas. Than, he's got a lower war than Edmundo Sosa, who's right. his backup. I don't Again, get it. let me repeat. Too much emphasis on defense. Yeah, and I, I like defense. You need defense. Defense is an important part of the game. But in the war statistic, I think they put too heavy a hand on the scale to emphasize defense. And, oh, by the way, Boom is not a bad defender, which I don't figure. He was part of the uh, corner butchers team with Ian Reese Hoskins. He has certainly up, upped his game at uh, third base. And sorry to you Bryce Harper fans, I think he's a better first baseman than Bryce Harper. Bryce has come a long way in a short time, but he's not going to win a gold glove over there anytime soon. And I think Bohm's better than he is. So I, I, you asked me a question. I'm sorry to say my first answer to you today, Glenn, is I have no bloody idea how that's I, the I agree case. with you. It just made no sense to me. All right, Phillies had a run in the second. Uh, Bryce is not liner in the center field for a single goes the other way. Steals his 29th base of the year. Speaking of war, Bryce Stott leads the team in war, which I don't know that I would really argue with, but that, there you go. Uh, Castellano gets on with a with an error that they called a hit to shortstop. You saw that? Any thoughts on that one? 
uh, shockingly, uh, a ball that you and I would call an error is judged a hit. How the hell can they do No, that one I completely understand. Unlike uh, Alec Bone's war, yeah, uh, there is an edict that came down from above that anything that is even close, that can be even ridiculously argued that it's a hit, go ahead and stamp it as a hit. All right, so um, uh, then Brandon Marsh hits a sack fly to center. They're up two to nothing. Now, Ranger Suarez, he's scuffling a little bit early, but he gets gets through the first, gets out of trouble in the second. Third inning, St. Louis has a man on. Here comes future Hall of Famer Paul Goldschmidt. 3-1 pitch, swung on, and that one's hitting well. Deep in the left center field in the gap, giving chase is Marsh. It's going to one-hop the wall. Wynn is going to round third, and he is going to score. does come in to home plate, but not even close. So it's an RBI double for Paul Goldschmidt, and it's 2-1. Phillies lead cut in half. All right, so we're here in the third, and, and Rangers walking guys. He's got the bases loaded. He, he gets, um, what's the guy's name, Luke and Baker on a strikeout. He gets out of it, which is good, right? That's You get in trouble, you get out of trouble. Yep. You judge a pitcher that way. All right, so they're up two to one in the fifth. This is the moment. This is this this is the greatest moment, one of the best of the season. Kyle Schwarber is up. He is he's either zero for his last fifteen or one for his last fifteen. And throughout the game, the cameras on NBC Sports Philadelphia have shown the St. Louis Arch, which is the famous landmark out there. And um, Scott Fransky's doing TV right now because um, uh, McCarthy is uh, going to do some football this weekend. And he's joking around with John Crook about going to the arch, and Crook's saying, I'm afraid of heights. It's nothing I would ever do. And then Crook happens to say this right as Kyle Schwarber is at bat. I know you're just messing with me. Well, if he hits a home run in this at bat, well, I can't go tomorrow. What, what time's that thing open? For you? Just call over there and they'll open it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Blasted to the right field corner, and it is gone. Kyle Schwarber with a laser home run into the right field corner, and it'll send John Crock to the St. Louis Arch. Your thoughts, Jody? It was tremendous. God, they played it well. Fransky, and we love T-Mac, too. He's phenomenal at what he does. He's a friend of the show. He's come on with us. Fransky is great on the radio or TV. Doesn't matter anywhere you put him. He's phenomenal. And he played crook like a violin throughout that entire thing. It was. It became the conversation of the rest of the game from there on in. Every other uh, paragraph got back to, and is crook going to the arch or not? Will they open it up early? Shoot, when they went back to Barkan in uh, the, the, the studio for between inning stuff, he had gotten the open and closing times of yeah. the public to get to the arch. <laughs> So yep. they played it phenomenally because the Phillies were up uh, 5-1 and 6-1. So uh, the game wasn't hanging in the balance until Britton Covey put three guys on in the bottom of the night. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, they just had a phenomenal time with it, and I enjoy stuff like that. you, you got to add a little something-something to a broadcast to keep it entertaining. And Kruk uh, and Fransky certainly did that with their arch conversation last night. It was great, and you can't. it makes you – really eager to see the broadcast today because I'm yeah, sure they did. Going. he's got no shot to go. You have no chance, no shot. He is. Do you, when this is a weird question, Glenn. Yep. When did you learn the definition of the word renege? 
<laughs> I think it might have been like ninth grade vocabulary. Probably. You know where I learned it? Uh-uh. I learned it around the card table with my father. Oh, well, there you go. I remember we played a game where you had to be honest with your hand. And if you bid or something like that, you couldn't renege. And my father used the word, and I looked at him like he had three heads. I'm like, what do you mean by renege? And he taught me the definition of word renege. I guarantee you John Crock reneges today and does well, not show up at the arch. Here's the thing. If you are NBC Sports Philadelphia and you are in any way smart and ambitious, and I really hope they are, you just make it happen. And you just call Crock and say, hey, we're picking you up at 915. This thing's going to happen. It's going to happen really fast. Don't worry about it. I mean, his, Crook's whole thing is that he, he gets dizzy, right, whatever. He's afraid of heights. He's, yeah, he's okay. on record as saying he's afraid yeah, of heights. No one has ever died for, by going into the St. Louis Arts. They'll just pick him up. They'll do it. It'll be a, It's great TV. Listen, you and I have done these things, right? We have, we have shaved our legs after losing bets. We stood in the middle. Oh, of I an, still have of an, pictures of me in that fat woman's dress. Yes, yeah. yes. We stood oh, yeah. in, the, in the middle of an intersection in King of Prussia. Till people threw us Eagles merchandise in the snow. We didn't renege. He's not going to renege. Yeah, Crocs renege it. He's not doing it. Uh, okay. It up, it we'll find out. Kind of we'll, 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 let me put it this way. It is a great reason to tune in the, to that uh, game. Oh, absolutely. Because he'll have some kind of lame explanation. He will try. And Fransky will pimp him perfectly again today. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. But it was it was a great moment because – We've all said in our lives, like, you know what? If this guy does this, I'm going to run down the street naked. Well, I don't know about that one, but you know what I'm saying. Yes. And then it happens. It's like, ooh. So, so Crook, got, Crook got pinched. Okay, back to the game. Um, the Phillies are now, after the home run, they're up 5-1. to one, And Ranger Suarez, man, he, he, he threw a lot of pitches early, but he kind of got into a nice group toward the end. Finishes up six innings. Uh, Danny, we got a little closing highlight of him. Two balls, two strikes, and two outs. And the pitch. Swing and a miss, yeah. and he got him. Awkward swing by Caracudo, and another strikeout for Ranger Suarez, his fifth of the afternoon. And it ends the sixth inning here. We are headed to the top of the seventh. Bills lead it 5 1. And that was his night, and he did a really good job. They end up winning it 6 to 1. You mentioned they get a run late, and. Gets a little, the bullpen gets a little shaky in the end, loads the bases, but they win. And they, they won all five against the Cardinals today going into, or this season going into today. So, Jody, where we stand right now, and you and I do these snapshots a lot, on September 17th with, uh, I think there's 15 games to play, just a couple weeks before the postseason. What's your postseason, what is the Jody Mack postseason rotation? Oh, the rotation. I'm kind of in a quandary, Glenn, and I don't know when I learned the definition of the word quandary either. Um, <laughs> Did your father tell you that one during He Pino might Colossal? very well. I don't know if it was a <laughs> sitting around a game table, but uh, he might have taught me that one too. Uh, here's my quandary. I don't know what to do with Ranger. Because if you ask me right now, Jody, rank the, the starting pitches that the Philadelphia Phillies have. If you just say, for the month of October, how well do you think they're going to pitch? Rank them. Wheeler's number one. And Ranger might be number two. Mm -hmm. But you have to factor in how you think they will translate to the bullpen. 
Because at some point, and starting immediately with Michael Lorenzen, they're going to get a boost in their bullpen because some of their starters, because you don't need six, you sure as hell don't need six, you don't really even need five. And uh, the first couple of rounds, you might even need not even need four. Um, so so that needs to be part of the thought process. And if, if you ask me, the six guys who have been starting for the Phillies of late, who do you have the most confidence in moving to the bullpen? That would be Ranger. Because he's done it already. I think his stuff plays well in the bullpen. He gives you a different kind of look. Everybody in the bullpen these days is uh, 98 to 102. That's not Ranger Suarez. He comes in and gives you a completely different look. So Ranger is the answer to two questions for me. I want him in the rotation, but I also want him in the bullpen. And I'm not sure how it's going to play out, how they are going to decide to do it. My guess is he's going to stay in the rotation. But I am tempted to think about Ranger in the bullpen because I think their bullpen could use a boost, and I think he's the most likely guy to do that. Listen, that's a very good point, and you're right. They did that last year, and he was very effective. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more as the show goes on. So here's where I am right now. And I don't think I'm a prisoner of the moment because I've been watching all year, and this is where I've settled at least for now. Each starter is going to get about three more starts. Lorenzen, as you mentioned, is now kind of officially moving to the bullpen. And, and by the way, displayed a really good attitude about it, which is always nice to see. But Wheeler is in, clearly. I think Sanchez is in, man. I know he's young and inexperienced, but he just gives you a good start after a good start. He's in. Ranger is in. And to me right now, Nola and Taiwan Walker are auditioning for that fourth spot. And it's, I never thought I would say that, certainly at the start of the year, certainly through July. But, man, there's been enough bad NOLA starts that if he starts game two of the postseason and the other team gets, you know, two men on in, in, in the third inning and he starts to fall apart, you're sunk. You're done. I just – I don't trust NOLA now, and it scares me. Now, three good starts between now and the end of the year, I could be persuaded. But what I see right now over the last – Six, eight starts, I don't like. Taiwan Walker is a guy who racks up cheap wins, which is nice. But right now it's Wheeler, Sanchez, Ranger, and one of those other two. So let me ask you this about Taiwan Walker. Mm -hmm. Does he not even make the postseason roster? It's possible if you don't don't think he can in any way transition to the bullpen and you're not going to start Which, oh, by the way, I don't because – he almost always gives up a run in his first inning. Yeah. And that's what you're doing coming out of the pen. you got to come in and get guys out immediately. Taiwan Walker, who's got 14 wins, 15 wins. I know he's got the most on the I think team. he's 15 I, and 5, or he's yeah, got some great some record. Ridiculous number. But he always gives up runs in the first inning. So why yeah. would you make him a reliever? It makes no sense whatsoever. And if he's not going to be part of your rotation, guess what? You only got so many roster spots. Taiwan, enjoy watching the game from a booth upstairs. By the way, Taiwan, I'm just looking this up. Taiwan Walker has pitched in 195 major league games. He has started 191 of them. There you go. He's not pitched in relief since 2014 when he was a 21-year-old. Only, only nine years ago? That's yeah. all, Glenn? So, uh, no, actually, he did. He had one relief appearance for the Mets in 2021, so I don't know what that was. Um, but uh, I've... That's 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 it for me. And your guy, who never gets the credit, at least never gets the W, Christopher Sanchez. Oh. I I really like him. Now, some of this I think also depends on the opponent, right? Because uh, if if you have a team that just kills lefties, 
then I don't think I'm going to go into it with two lefties in the rotation. But short of that, that's where I'm looking right now. Now, here's one of the problems. One of those teams would be the Braves. Well, and the second round, that. there's a good chance they're going to be playing the Braves. Yeah. And you're going to have to beat the Braves. They are the team you're going to have to beat if you're going back to the World Series. I know last year they beat them mano a mano. Some people said after the fact, oh, they got lucky last year because the Padres first took out the Mets, and then the Padres took out the Dodgers, so the Phillies didn't have to face either of them, which is true, but they had to beat the Braves, and they did. And it may be very similar how the Phillies are going to have to get back to the World Series again. Now, the Braves are a tough matchup for anybody. doesn't matter right-handed or left-handed, but they are, except for uh, Olsen, they're very right-handed heavy. So I'm not sure how they're going to do it matchup-wise, Mac Man. Yeah, it's the Braves. I mean, <laughs> I was looking at the Braves last night, and all four, their first four hitters all hit home runs last night. They're, they're, they're nuts. So I, I, don't, I don't even know. With the Braves, you just close your eyes and hope for the best. Um, one other thing I want to say, 215-592-9494. We're going to move to football in a moment, but we, we wanted to open with last night's game and what's going on with the Phillies and certainly invite you to talk baseball. We're going to be doing leading off in the 1 o'clock hour, so we'll be getting back to baseball. But yesterday news came out just before 5 o'clock that uh, while he was undergoing a medical procedure in Florida, Charlie Manuel suffered a stroke. Uh, the hospital attended. He was in a hospital. The hospital attended to him immediately and removed a blood clot. These next 24 hours from yesterday afternoon are very crucial to Charlie's recovery. Uh, and the uh, Philly said that Charlie's family asks that you keep him in your thoughts and prayers at this time. Uh, Jody, I'll let you go first, and I'll give you a couple of my thoughts. Um, I uh, couldn't uh, be more of a Charlie Manuel fan than I am already. Um, the funny thing about Charlie is he lives in South Florida. And he lives about three towns over from my dad. And there's a very good restaurant, not not high and takeout type restaurant, uh, that is between the two towns. That if my father has told me once, he's run into Charlie Manuel four times when he's gone over to people's restaurant. So every time he goes in there, it seems for my father, like Charlie Manuel's in there getting takeout. Having food. So every time he goes, my when he gets home, my stepmom says, Oh, Charlie was at People's, huh? Because my father takes uh, 45 minutes rather than the 20 minutes it's supposed to because he sits down and talks baseball with Charlie for 20 minutes. So before Charlie ever became the manager of the Phillies, my father told me how much he appreciated Charlie Manuel, and then he got the gig, and I got a chance to meet Charlie and uh, befriend him as well. Uh, Yeah, all my thoughts and prayers. Just a, a class guy, a true baseball man that you have to root for and a guy who will forever be loved in this town. So for several years on WIP, I got to co-host the Charlie Manuel show uh, here with, when uh, I was working with Anthony Gargano. And Charlie is just the nicest, most open, friendly guy you'd ever meet. I've done a lot of shows with other coaches, some of whom come with their own bodyguards, some of whom will just kind of stay behind the scene until the show began. But Charlie would pull into Ponzio's with Missy, his now his wife, then his fiance, find a corner stool at the counter, grab a cup of coffee, and just chat up everybody. And anybody could just walk up to him and talk to him. Um, we learned when we did that show that Charlie was not great at answering questions. Um, in, in Remember how he was in news conferences, how he just wasn't really mm-hmm. comfortable in those, Jody? Right? 
So he wasn't particularly great when we would ask him questions about that. But what we learned is he can tell stories as well as anybody. So rather than ask him about his bullpen plans, we would just ask him about when he played in Japan or how he took hitting lessons from Ted Williams or just, you know, all of his experiences. And it was great. It was so entertaining. Such a nice guy, really lovable guy, and a great baseball guy, as you said. And so I, I joined Jody, and we join everybody at WIP in wishing him the best. 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now. Looking forward to talking to you today on 94 WIP. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. G Mack. Yes, sir. Can I make two quick Phillies points before we either get to the phones or uh, flip over to football? Yeah. Last night's game uh, was almost, it would have been even better if uh, Covey had given up a couple of runs. I don't know about you, but I spend way too much time on Twitter or X or whatever they want to oh, yeah. call it. Yes, I do. Um, but Le- Less than I used to. I'm proud of that. I, yeah, I'm probably about the same as I've always been, which I readily admit is too much. Um and when I say, quote, unquote, Philly's Twitter, know full well I'm referring to the small yet somewhat outspoken portion of the Phillies fan base. Because if I saw one Phillies tweet after the game on Friday night, I saw six that said something along the lines of, how can I love a team that almost kills me on a night-in, night-out basis? My doctor has advised me to cut down on stress on my life. I can't watch any more Phillies games. When did we become a soft town? At least this percentage of the Phillies fan that want to moan and whine after a Phillies victory. They're going to make the playoffs again after they did exactly the same thing last year, went all the way to the World Series. Yet people feel the need to point out that, yes, they make you a little nervous at the end of a game, that they've got to complain. The Phillies are going to kill me before I get to see another playoff round of the Phillies. Just celebrate wins. Take them. Don't, don't, don't be overanalyzing and don't be complaining about Ws. We get enough losses. Why are we complaining about Ws? It just annoyed the snot out of me, and I had to get that off my chest because I'm, I'm reading these on Friday night going, Stop! Just stop! They won the damn game. And sure well, enough, I appreciate they... I appreciate that you that you that you did that. <laughs> um, I ignore that stuff. I am good at ignoring that stuff because yeah, I'm not. I I think it's I think it's it's the equivalent of ninety five percent of people are happy and they don't say anything, and five percent of people are feel the need to gripe, and they're the ones who post. So I don't I don't. Yeah, I don't they, view it as a barometer. They did, and they got on my case. So thank I you know. for letting me uh, vent there. Uh, but here's, here's a piece of good stats that I found yesterday. Kind of a weird thing. Uh, you know, I do the national show on Saturday, so I was having a, a national baseball guest on. So I wanted to ask a question about the Minnesota Twins because they're going to win their division going away, hands down, blah, 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 blah. So I wanted to see what their record was against their division because their division is, like, all-time terrible they're the only team above 500. The rest of the teams all stink. So I wanted to see how fat they got on their division, knowing they play less games against the division than they used to because of the new scheduling, balanced schedule in baseball. So I couldn't find it. So I looked in a couple of different places. I did see one interesting stat on MLB.com where they list the standings. Records of teams against that you play against over 500. 
What do you think the Phillies' record is against teams over 500 this year? Uh, okay, so the Phillies have played 140-something games. Say half of those have been against teams over 500. So let's say they say 70 games teams above 500. I would say – I'm trying to think of who they played and who they beat. I don't know, 38-32. No. But, damn, you hit it right on the number. They've played 70 games. Very okay. good by you, Mac. Well, well, apparently the 38's not that close, though. No. Well, it's not that far, but it's below 500. They're mm. 34 and 36. Okay. Against teams that are above 500. And here's the kind of bad news. When you get to the playoffs, everybody's above 500. I know. So I know. It, but the other teams that are uh, in the play, other than the Braves, because the Braves are nuts. But I don't know if the other teams, you know, that are – I don't know if the Cubs and Arizona and so on, I don't know that they're doing any better in that regard. The Brewers. Here's, here's the numbers because I went, I went through them, and I said, like, oh, man, this stinks. The Phillies are going to have a tough time when they get to the playoffs. Out of 30 teams in baseball, how many do you think have winning records against teams above 500? Eight. Five. Five. Yeah. That's how it works. You fatten up on the bad teams, and you hold your own against the, the good teams. Exactly. The problem is that – Three of the five are in the National League. Well, the Braves, the Dodgers, and the who? And the Brewers. And the Brewers, yeah. Are okay. above 500. And the Rays and the Orioles in the American League East. And you wouldn't have to worry about them until you're back in the World Series. But there's only five teams out of 30 that have winning records against teams above 500. Yeah. So I yeah. was first disappointed by that. Then I said, oh, all right, it's not really that bad. Uh, just they may have to go through two of those five teams to get to the World Series. Yeah. And, but- Listen, if they beat the Braves, it's just going to be by miracle. I, I don't think we anybody can really argue that. You just get lucky or whatever. It'd be an upset. If they win, yeah, it's an upset. Yeah, a huge upset. A huge upset. But we'll see. Hey, by the way, coming up at 11, we're going to talk to Barrett Brooks about the Eagles at noon. Todd Zalecki is going to join us. Jody's going to have a college football review from staying up to 2.30 in the morning. Uh, and in the next segment, we're going to talk about the dumbest rule in football, which there is apparently a debate as to that, which we'll discuss. But right now, Jody, just real quickly, while we have time in this segment, on a scale of 1 to 10, Jody Mack, with 1 being utter chaos in the streets and 10 being euphoria, let's reserve our spot at Broad Street for the parade. How should Eagles fans feel now after two games? I'm disappointed that you didn't go to medical. Uh, Metaphysical certitude. Metaphysical yeah, I certitude. I should have done that. I've done that with you many times. <laughs> Damn. You and I just both like John McLaughlin a lot. Yeah, time that's ago. the guy. That's the He's guy. He's the man. That was, uh, I don't watch political shows, but that one was so well done, I could not watch it. Um, my 0 to 10 scale for the Eagles would right now be on the positivity side 7.5. Okay. I'm not quite an 8. But I'm not a four or five like some people. Again, Philly's Twitter, uh, they're going to kill me before they make it to the World Series. Uh, the Eagles are dead in the water because no, they you, haven't won their first two games you gotta, you gotta get in dominating media, fashion. Man. you got to you got to stop. Yeah, I, I so I'm, a, I, I'm with you. I'm a seven. Uh, and my, my biggest concern, the reason I'm well, – you're a 7.5, but the, the, my biggest concern is that the defense could drag them down, that the injuries are piling up, that they could be getting a little thin. That's That's – that's all that keeps me from getting higher. I am confident in many ways because they have so many offensive weapons and they can adjust. And I'm just going to play one highlight from the other night that, that really points it out. They've been having a tough time getting the passing game working. Hertz is really not in much of a rhythm yet. Um, certainly the short passing game isn't working. And so the other night, 
I don't even know if it was the pregame plan. I don't think it was. They turned to the running game, and look what the local kid did. Swift takes the ball, runs up the middle, cuts at the 40, at the 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, down at the 2, DeAndre Swift. What an outstanding cut. When he gets through the first level. Jody, DeAndre Swift and the offensive line took over that game. He had one carry in the first game. He had 28 the other night. I don't think we're going to see that again, but whatever. It's what they needed. 175 yards and a touchdown. That 43-yarder toward the end, you know, sets up the, the breathe easy touchdown. And it's one of the reasons I am very confident about them, even as they're experiencing kind of a lack of rhythm and continuity in offense, they got so many guys to make it work that, okay, we'll turn to this. It reminded me of two years ago, Glenn, with Sirianni's yeah. first year when yep. he was off to a slow start and the offense wasn't clicking and people were worried. He turned to his offensive coordinator and said, why don't you call the plays for a while? And uh, Steichen did such a good job. It all started with let's return to our roots. We've got the best offensive line in football. Why don't we just smash it down somebody's throats to see if we can get the offense going that way? And it worked pretty damn well, and it worked all last year. Uh, so it's not like the Eagles haven't gone down this road before. They did just two years ago. And at some point, the passing game has to come around, and I'm sure that it will. they got too many talented players for it not to. Isn't it nice to have that in your back pocket? When, when you need to go to it, let's just throw those cards on the table and say, we're going mano a mano up front with you, and we're going to eat you up. Yeah, it's great. What, uh, your 7.5, what are you basing on? Um, that they've got a talented roster. They, I still think they have the most talented roster, certainly in the NFC, because the 49ers are the only ones that are close, and you could put them up against any of the best teams in the AFC, too, most of which are already 0-1. Um, yeah, that's what it's based on, experience, the uh, fact that they've got guys that went to the Super Bowl last year. you always got to stay in the moment and comp against your competition and see what you are matched up against, and I still think they have the most talented roster in the NFC. So even if they didn't get blowout wins the first two weeks, they're exactly where they need to be, 2-0. That comes out to about a 7.5 for me. Yeah, and I don't think either team they played is going to be in the Super Bowl, but the Patriots are Bill Belichick. You beat them on the road in New England in a bad weather situation. That That's, that's nothing to sneeze at. And the Vikings – May not be very good this year, but they did win 13 games last year. I mean, they're not a bottom feeder. It's not you're not beating Arizona there. You're beating you're beating a team that's that's got something. It's got maybe the most dangerous wide receiver in the league. So I I am I would love to have seen these things been easier or blowouts or decided earlier, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. Again, the the injuries on defense could become a thing, uh, but right now I'm feeling they did okay. And, oh, by the way, style points don't count in the NFL. They absolutely don't. College football, they do. But in the NFL, it doesn't matter if you win by 41 or 1. If you win, you win, and you check the standings, and the Eagles are 2-0, and and that's the most important thing. Yeah, very well said. Uh, 215-592-9494 with Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now. Coming up, there is a debate as to what is the dumbest rule in football. We're going to uh, – both of these things occurred, by the way. Both these situations occurred in the Eagles game against the Vikings. We'll play highlights from both and kind of kick it around. And we'd love to hear from you. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.
when you open up the Bet Parks app, you're officially in the zone. Winning is always a rush, but the money is in the moment. It's the anticipation of another face card, the thrill of an extra spin, the pure joy of a jackpot. It's all your favorite casino games at your fingertips, plus the chance to bet on all your favorite sports teams. And we got a full card of NFL action coming up today. Uh, if you've never played with Parks before, new users, you can join right now, download the app, and get up to $1,000 in a casino bonus back if you're down in the first 24 hours. That's if you're a gamer. I'm a sports wager. Today's line, Cincinnati hosting Baltimore. Bengals expecting that bounce back, favored by three and a half. Atlanta hosting Green Bay. Falcons are a favorite at home. Uh, Kansas City, will they bounce back and get a win? They're a three-point choice at Jacksonville. Have some fun with the NFL games today. You can get it all, more action with your action with the Bet Park Sportsbook app, the only casino and sportsbook app I recommend. Bet Parks has all your favorite casino games, including 8 8 Fortunes, Cleopatra Gold, and more. And all the action on today's games teasers, player props, you name it, you've got it on the Bet Park Sportsbook app. Jordan McDonald, Glenn Macnow, Sunday morning, 94 WIP. We're going to take you into uh, Phillies at the Cardinals at 2 15. What time is the first pitch there? Uh, 2.15. 2.15 first pitch. There you go. Uh, Mike and Yardley wants to talk about both of the teams that we've been discussing. What's up, Mike? Hey, guys. Um, my baseball point is that I don't think that uh, Nola or Walker should be going to the bullpen. They just don't have the experience with it, and I'm, I don't have any confidence that they would be effective. But I would not give them much time on the mound you know if they get into trouble especially especially Aaron he gets a second guy on base I'd be taking him out and putting in Ranger or Sanchez and uh, just hope I can get four innings out of him and Walker both of them and then carry on from there team's got strong enough offense you know they might get lucky and have another run but, uh, I, I uh, feel... Hold on. Let's, sure. let's, let's talk about that. Jody, I, I mean, I kind of feel the same way about NOLA, which is anytime there's two guys on base, I, I just feel it's about to implode. Yeah. Right. But what happens if he puts the first two guys on? The first two guys on? Oh, yeah. first oh two you guys got a game? game? <laughs> you're sunk. Yeah, you're you really in that. trouble. But he hasn't done that recently. It's usually third, fourth, or fifth inning when, when he starts to get into trouble. And as soon as he starts to get into trouble... You know, I turned to my wife or my son, and we're watching the game. I said, they, Rob's got to take him out now. And often Rob lets him go one batter too, uh, too many. And uh, that's, been, that's been a real problem with him. So, you know, I, I think you just got to give him the hook. You, you just can't – this is playoffs. You can't be coddling him. You just got to take him out because he's not been able to do it all year. And yeah. I wouldn't expect him to be able to do it in the playoffs. What is your – Football? Point? Yeah. Well, uh, it, you had a great show yesterday, Glenn. I was in the car, so I couldn't call. Um, but, you know, every time I hear Seth Joyner talk about football, my football IQ goes up. Mm-hmm. It was a great interview, um, and I want to expand on it just a little bit. You get Bill Belichick in offseason to prepare for you, he's going to find a way to take away your best player. And he took away Jalen Hurts. He set the edges and made him be a pocket quarterback and double-teamed his favorite receiver, and it wasn't a big surprise that they had trouble with it. And the Vikings tried to do very similar things to him, and the way you deal with it is you run between the tackles. And that's what they did, and I want them to come out 
on Monday Night Football and run between the tackles. Until the other defense shows you they can stop that run, don't be making it easy for them by trying to pass and run the RPO stuff. The last thing is, is I would like to see Jalen do the running game under center a little more. I really, yeah. and you know, I, I've said this in years past, I hate the shotgun running out of the shotgun. It just doesn't work as I, well. I am me. half with you. I think they do it way too much and would love to see him do it more uh, from behind center, and they don't. All right, Jody, I want to get to this here. While we've got can, can I respond to that last one first? Uh-huh. Um, here's the problem with running under center if you've got Jalen Hurts as your quarterback. There's some quarterbacks that run out of the, uh, the, the shotgun, and uh, I don't get it because they're not a threat to run. When you're running out of the, the shotgun, the RPO aspect of football, yeah, he could keep it, and he could uh, pick the right uh, defender, and if he can beat him to the corner, he's going to be able to make a play. Because of his skill set and what he does, he is better. they are better running their running game out of the gun just because Jalen Hurts is Jalen Hurts. Okay. Um, so the Eagles did a very familiar play the other night. We know it. We saw it last year. We love it. And here it is. Just here short. it is. Hertz. Now they're in. Hurts sneaks. He's in. Touchdown. Bodies diving over to tush push, but they're just unable to stop this thing. This, it's the unstoppable tush push, which, by the way, other teams are now trying. And I don't know if you saw the Colts tried it the other day. No success. But the Eagles have it mastered, not just because it's a gimmick, but because they have guys who can do it. They have an offensive line that can do it and get low, and, and they have a quarterback who's able to do it. I want to read you a quote from Peter King, Jody Mack, and I have to tell you, I respect Peter King. Peter King and Chris Mortensen and Gary Myers are probably, to me, the three football writers I, I would respect most over the years. Uh, By the way, Gary Meyer is going to be a guest on the show coming up in a couple weeks, I think. But here's what Peter King said the other day. I am on record many times loudly saying the tush push is an abomination. It's an idiotic rule, meaning to allow it. And the NFL has made, in my opinion, a terrible mistake in not legislating a rugby play out of the NFL. Your thoughts? I, I too, have a very high opinion of Peter King, Uh, probably the most respected writer. Uh, of football in the country he is he, he sounds like philly's twitter to me um a little over the top a little too uh, uh verbose about it and somebody gave me this line and i'd give him credit if i could remember because people are calling it an ugly play i don't think it's an ugly play Mm-mm. what it is is a boring play now, it could be a boring and effective play if it gets the Eagles a first down or gets the Eagles a touchdown. It's very effective, but it's boring. So do you really want to legislate boring out of the game? And here's the unique unique aspect of it. I don't know that you and I have ever discussed this, but I know I've discussed it plenty with my other Mac partner, Johnny Mac on Birds 365, and he and I feel the same exact way. If they had done that during the offseason – Do you know who it would have hurt in the NFL? The 29 other teams not named the Philadelphia Eagles. Because if you disallowed the push from behind and you just allowed quarterbacks to sneak, 
those same offensive linemen would be doing the getting low and driving the defense back. And that same quarterback who might have the strongest legs of any quarterback in the National Football League would be still pushing forward. He just wouldn't have Dallas Goddard's hand in his back. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing he's going to convert instead of 93%, only about 91%. And those other teams who may try it might not be near as good at it. Had they banished it this off season. I think it would have been advantageous for the Eagles because they'd still Uh, do it anyway. Maybe. By the way, Peter King goes on to say, I can tell you there are significant, important people in the NFL who blanch every time they see this and they just shake their head. Well, I don't know who those people are, and I don't know that I care. I don't know that I find it boring. I actually find it fun. Maybe it's because it's my team. I don't know if, you know, because the Eagles are the ones that do it. I get excited to see it if it was Mm -hmm. a game between the, you know, Bengals and the – Cardinals, I don't know how I would feel about it. But I don't think it's a dumb rule to allow it. I I think it's a legitimate football play. Now, here's what is a dumb rule. And this time, the Eagles really benefited from it as Justin Jefferson caught a pass the other night deep in Eagles territory. Cousins again on the gun. Takes his drop. He is firing, and it is juggled and caught by Jefferson. Goes out of bounds near the goal line. Eagles are yelling that he didn't have possession, but they say he is out of bounds at the one. He made the catch. The officials say he had possession. Now, he didn't have it after he went out of bounds, but we'll take another look at that. If he fumbled that out of the end zone, that may go the other way. I think he fumbled that out of the back of the end zone. Mike Quick is correct. He fumbled it out of the end zone, and so... The rule as it stands is if you if you catch a pass at the one or you run all the way down the field to the one and then you fumble and it goes out of the end zone, other team gets possession at the 20-yard line. The Eagles benefited. I have said this many times when it has hurt my team. I will say it now one time that it helps my team. I think that's a dumb rule. I think the penalty is way too high for the act. I think the team that fumbles out of the end zone should maybe get it keep retain possession of the ball but have it be a 15-yard penalty or something like that Eagles got real lucky on that one Jody and I think it's a dumb rule uh, you and I are on the exact same page here it's just flat out dumb has been has been in place forever it makes no sense whatsoever you're right the penalty outweighs the offense the only question is if you leave it with the team that fumbled the football you're being rewarded And, yeah, the defender on that play was there, but it was more Jefferson trying to reach the ball over the goal line than it was a great defensive play. So the Eagles are not only rewarded by getting the ball, they get it out at the the, the 20-yard line. Yeah. Uh, That, to me, is ridiculous. Uh, I've heard people suggest the 10, the 12-and-a-half, the 20 (laughs) But the the team that fumbles should keep the ball. And I'm not sure exactly where you would spot it. My guess would be the 20 because that's where they move any of the other plays that come out. An interception, you stay in the end zone. They take it out to the 20. And if you fumbled, yeah, there should be a price to pay. You, you, You lost control of the football. I would have no problem with the team fumbling out of bounds or through the back end of the end zone, retaining possession, but they got to start again from their own 20, from the opposition 20-yard line. We agree. All right, let's sneak in Alan here before the top of the hour. Hello, Alan. Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Not quite yet. Good morning, yep. and a happy and healthy New Year to 
Elizabeth. Thank you, you both. You're welcome. So I wanted to make a point about our half-glass-full, half-glass-empty approach to winning and losing, more so about football. You know, baseball, they play almost a full month of what would be exhibition games, but they're real games against real competitors, and even though they're swapping out players, they're playing. Now today, with the way that there's only, I would call it, two-and-a-half exhibition games, you really don't get to see. The first-line guys never really get to play live ball against live action, playing at 100%. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there must be hundreds of schemes and hundreds of plays and hundreds of scenarios that are drawn up. How can we expect in two games to lay that all out the way that we finished last year where an entire season was allowed to progress? Mm-hmm. And then now everybody knows, or a lot of people know, what we tend to do and what Jalen tends to do. So good defensive coordinators are going to scheme against it to force us to do things that are not in our comfort zone until we figure out how we're going to play against what they're bringing in. My point yeah. is we're 2-0, and and we should be every game. The first four games of any season, to me, are basically like a real preseason. And, if you and I think be, it's moved that way. We've got to hit the hour here, but I think it's moved that way where – you just they don't want guys to get injured. This is clearly where the Eagles approach, and you just hope that they survive these games and win. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we are going to talk to Barrett Brooks, get uh, his uh, opinion on what he has seen the first couple of games. Jody Mack, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. It's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafting windows and doors before another long, cold winter season rolls in. And the great people at Guided Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, well, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Well, my quick calls it. Uh, and they listen, and they uh, run it in, and it is DeAndre Swift, who had a great game the other night with 28 carries, 175 yards, that touchdown. Uh, and he was, of course, helped by a terrific offensive line, and when we talk about that, one of the people we always like to check in with is our pal Barrett Brooks. You will hear him, you will see him, excuse me, on the uh, NBC Sports uh, regular, including the postgame show, Barrett, we, we often talk about how this offensive line is the best in football, but I thought the other night, certainly in terms of that running game, we really got to see it. And, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, get the horse to water. And I think they led Brian Johnson to, you know, to the water, to the feed, whatever you want to say, <laughs> to make him run the ball. And, and, and as the game progressed, you could see how Lane Johnson was trying to dictate tempo by, you know, steady waving his arm, let's go, let's go, as if to say, you pass the ball if you want to, Brian. This is our game. We're going to win it up front. Allow us to go out there and eat. And that's exactly what happened, you know. It's not bad to run the ball. And we all know that, you know, Mr. Lurie and, 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 you know, all the other high executives want to, you know, pass the ball. You know, that's that's what sells tickets. But if you want to win games, 
keep the ball on the ground. That way you dictate tempo, you punch them in the mouth. But the biggest thing is you're keeping the other quarterback off the field. Mm-hmm. You know, you're time of possession. And, and people don't look at it like that, but if you keep their quarterback off the field, the likelihood you're going to win goes in your favor, like 80%. I think that the key to winning in the National Football League is balance. And if you get too heavy-handed one way or the other, you can end up hurting yourself. But I think the Eagles have tremendous balance. That's why they're in very good position as of right now. All right, Barrick, you are the perfect guy to ask about this because we may have a question that needs to be answered going into game number three. As a guy who blocked in the league for as long as you did, I'm sure you played on teams where you had more than just one running back, that you had two running backs who uh, you needed to block for, got some significant carries, touches, call them what you want over time, over the course of a season. Do you have different ways to block depending on the guy who's coming up from behind? Do you block Absolutely. differently for different runners? And how much of an adjustment is that uh, from a week to week if you're going to use more than one guy? Well, you know what? I mean, in all actuality, uh, even when I was with the Eagles, I had Ricky Water and Charlie Garner, Thunder and Lightning. And you would just have to give uh, Charlie Garner just just mean a two-inch gap, and he'll take it to the house. But then, Ricky, you got to blow a guy off the ball, but he's going to give you eight yards. You know, you got the potential of of breaking it for, for 60 yards with Charlie, but you also have that moving the chains aspect with, 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 with Ricky Waters where he's going to pound and ground and you're going to get that, you know, success as far as beating guys up. When I was last with the Steelers, you know, we won a championship. And, you know, what we had at running back was fast Willie Parker. Once again, we can take it to the house, average like five, you know, 5.5 yards a carry. But then you had old reliable. You have Bussy, Jerome Bettis. And it's three yards in a cloud of dust who kept the chains moving, who was the inspirational leader. So you do call plays that are specific for the skill set of, of the running back. But I don't see much I don't see much difference in, you know, Kenneth Gainwell and DeAndre Swift as far as, you know, the play selection. But I tell you what, that big play capability with Swift, you know, you, it was definitely on display on this last game. You know, he has the potential to break it loose and he can catch out the backfield. He can do a lot of stuff that we haven't had in this um, offense in a while. One more question on this issue, because people have asked me, why is it that line, that linemen, offensive linemen, like running the ball more than pass protection? I think it's a pretty simple answer, but I'd rather hear it from a guy who played the position in the league for a number of years. Well, I mean, when you're, when you're pass blocking, you're first of all, you're backing up and you're letting a guy who's probably faster than you uh, you know, run straight at you while you're backing up. So it seems like it's a little less aggressive. Although you can be aggressive with it, it's hard to be aggressive when you're pass blocking. But when you're run blocking, you're coming off the ball, you're hitting a guy in the mouth, you know, you're trying to bloody his nose, you're double teaming. It really, you know, goes out there and dictates that you're aggressive and it allows that aggressive nature to come out of you. You're going forward. You're not going backwards. And when you can run the ball and hit the defense in the mouth and they can do nothing about it, they can't stop you from running ball. That's the most demoralizing thing you can do to a um, to a to a defensive line to a, to a defense. If they can't stop you from running the ball, it puts them in a position where, like, all right, you know, they become defeated, they become deflated, and plus, it makes them tired. It's harder to get up off the ground with a 300-pound offensive lineman on top of you than it is to be trying <laughs> to pass block a guy, you know, and he's just running around you, you know. So that's why we love it so much. And and the worse the conditions the better it is for us. You know, if they can't get their footing, 
then we're coming off the ball. It just makes us, uh, it, it it puts us in a you know a fury. You know what I'm saying? We just you know start salivating because we're hitting you in the mouth and we're dictating what we want you to do. All right, Barrett. Glenn asked me this question at the top of the show, so I'm going to ask it of you. On a scale from zero to ten, zero being oh my God, Chicken Little, the sky is falling. Ten being Honey, get the travel agent. We're going to Vegas in February because Eagles going to be in the Super Bowl again. Where do you fall on the zero to ten scale after the first two Eagles games this year? Well, at this point, I mean they show diversity. You know, they're 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 winning games that necessarily most teams will lose. Look at Kansas City; they lost. Um, and and I'm gonna tell you the truth: this is gonna be tough on them this week, also. You know, because uh, I I really think that Doug, Dougie P is going to have something for Andy Reid, you know, even though he's one of his disciples. I think he's going to have something for him. Uh, this might be a closer game than what people think. But I, I just really, really think that the Eagles are built to last. They can run the ball when they want to run the ball. they got an excellent quarterback. Even though he hasn't played, this is just his second preseason game going to his third. And I told people the first postseason game, um, postseason uh, show I had, that you're going to get about two or three more of these games, you know, until he gets into – you know, seasonal shape, seasonal form. So I can expect one more game where he's not going to play as well as he um, we think he should, but then he'll come out of shell, start playing at the high level, and then the experts will see that, you know, you were right to pick the Eagles of going back to the Super Bowl uh, and being a contender and winning the NFCs. I mean, the NFC period, but, the, you know, division in the East. Barrett Brooks is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at bbrooks72nbcs, and you can see him on uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia. So uh, I've been very, very impressed, I think most people have, by those uh, those Georgia pups on the defensive line. After two games, your assessment of Jalen Carter and what you see in the second year of Jordan Davis. I'll tell you what, Jalen Carter is, I mean, I've played against guys with, you know, similar you know, skill sets, but not this early being as good as he is this early. And when, you know, it's not always a sack that can really see what a guy can do, but how this guy moves, how he understands blocking schemes. And, you know, you, you try to double team him. He fills the double team. He goes to the guy and you know, we call him, you know, you have a guy that sets up the block and the, on the double team, and then you have a guy that washes you away. Well, he hits the guy that's pinned, you know, sets up the block stays in him, keeps you from double-teaming him, and still is able to make a play and get deep and, 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 and press the offensive line in the back. He has that skill set. So not only is he great in pass rush, but also he's a great defender in stopping the run. You know, and that's huge, you know, because that was our Achilles heel last year. Mm-hmm. He does that. I mean, you one-on-one, you're not going to be able to block him. So as, a, as an offensive coordinator, pick your poison. Who are you going to have? You're going you're gonna to try to double-team Davis because he's a mountain? You're going to try to double-team Fletcher Cox because he's a crafty veteran and still has juice left? Or are you going to double-team Jalen Carr because he's probably going to win defensive uh, rookie of the year on how good he is? So it's like pick your poison. How do you block? He is that good. The defensive coordinators are going to start um, game-planning him as opposed to game-planning Cox and Davis. That's how good this kid is. He's a phenomenal player. He wants to be great, and he's coachable, and that's the biggest thing. The sky's the limit for how good he can be. I played against, and I call him a good mixture. He's a good mixture to me of Warren Sapp's ability to get up the field, but also John Randall's "you can't block me" mentality. That's some so big you names you're throwing out there. Some big time comps you got there. <laughs> I played against him. I, I know what it is to play against him. You know, so I mean, it's not like I don't know what I'm talking about because I've been in the trenches 
with John Randall war painted up and screaming like he's crazy or something, you know. So, you know, take it from me, I've seen and played against these guys. This kid has every bit of the, the, the same athletic talent and drive that those guys do. I'm not saying he's going to already give him a, a, a yellow jacket and he's in Canton already, but he is going to be very, very good and watch what I say. Barrett, we've seen one game with the Philadelphia Eagles with N'Kobe Dean, and we've seen one game of the Philadelphia Eagles without N'Kobe Dean. How big a loss is it that they're not going to have N'Kobe Dean for a minimum of the next three weeks and maybe longer than that? Well, I mean, I think these guys, you know, I mean, I think Cunningham played a, a, a pretty good game his last game. The first game, I didn't think he was worth his salt. But this game, he came out and played and played very, very well. So we're missing N'Kobe. I think N'Kobe's going to be a good player, but hey, you can't make the club in the tub. You know, I, the best ability is availability. If he's not available right now, you know, it's just like Avante Maddox. You got to be available, you know, no matter how good you are. And I think those two kids are being really good. N'Kobe Dean's really good. Against the run, he was out there. He was making things happen. But you got to be available. And I, I see big things out of him if he can stay healthy. And that's the biggest thing health. We know that this team is not going to invest in linebackers the way they should. But I think they that's a pretty good investment in N'Kobe Dean. All right, Barrett, last one for me. Um, just curious. It is a, it's a great weekend of football, some great games today. How do you plan to spend the rest of today and tomorrow? What, game, what games are you looking at specifically? I'm, I'm definitely watching the Chiefs game, you know. But, I mean, there's, there's a couple other games. You know, I've got to look at the list and see. But, I mean, how about that? We get two Sundays of just all football for the next two Sundays. Can you believe it? This is going to be great, you know. So, I'm going to you know, sit down. I'm going to make my own wings, fry my own wings up and watch all this football that we're going to be able to do and sit down and, and have, maybe have a couple of uh, have a couple of beers, you know. I've I, I got to call it. Um, i got to call and see what type of beers, I, you know, I should have. Oh, while I'm eating you my got wings. the right guy on the line, hey, Barrett. Yeah, ask ask the, the, the professor. He knows oh, yeah, beer better than anybody. Right. I own part of a brewery, my friend. I make it Absolutely. You send Absolutely. me the address. I'll be there with the beers. You, 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 you do the wings. I'll do the beers. <laughs> there it is. Let's make it happen. <laughs> all right, pal. Hey, have a great one, Barrett. Always a pleasure. Nice to talk to you. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. All right. There you go, Barrett Brooks. Uh, that was pretty high praise there. Uh, Some Jody big for, names. He's comping yeah. the Eagles' uh, stud defensive tackles from Georgia, too. I I do think, and you know, it is two games, and guys can flop and so on. But I think with Jalen Carter, we all know why they got him, why he dropped to nine. There was a lot of people who thought he was going to be the best player in the draft. I think they got themselves a – Oh, do I say perennial all-pro? Is that too much too early? Um, Perennial? Yeah, I'm not no, putting him in the Hall of Fame with John Randall and Warren Sapp and all do those I other Do I think guys. he's going to be an all-pro defensive tackle at some point in his career? The answer is yes. Okay. Perennial means three times in six years. Yeah. yeah I don't know that yet, okay. but he's trending in that direction after all of two games. So you got to give Howie Roseman credit for not only having the nerve and conviction taking him. Now, he can go out and get caught street racing tomorrow night. We're all going to look like idiots, uh, including Howie more than any others. But from everything I've heard, Glenn, 
he has not been any kind of an issue in the locker room with his behavior, anything else. That's the only reason why the Eagles got him. If this kid uh, didn't have the issue that he had right before the draft, I guarantee you he doesn't get down to where the Eagles can get their hands on him in a draft. So sometimes a little luck involved and good maneuvering by Howie. He probably didn't have to move up the one spot that he did to get him. He wasn't taking his chances. That tells you how much the Eagles thought of him as a talent and the research they had done that he isn't going to be a problem. They'll be able to, to, to bring him along and make sure that he stays focused on football. And two games in, he's already paying dividends. Seth Joyner told us yesterday, and again, comparisons can be scary, but Seth Joyner says, I look at him and I see a, a young Jerome Brown who I played behind. So That's another very good comparison. There you go. Let's talk to Jeff in Wilmington. Let's talk about some dumb rules. What do you think there, Jeff? Mac and Mac, what's going on, guys? Hey, We're bro. good. Um, yeah, I have no issue with the tush push. And I actually, one of those runs that, Jay, uh, that Jalen did, he didn't even need any help from behind. That offensive line gets two, three yards upfield when they do that play most mm-hmm. of the time. I mean, it's insane. But here's the thing. I don't understand why people have a big problem with it. When a running back goes into a pile of guys or, you know, he's, he's out in space and a guy hits him, there's guys coming up behind him and pushing him too offensive linemen. They do it all the time. I don't understand what the big deal is about the quarterback doing it. Because you just... I don't know. <laughs> I, I'll, right? I, 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 uh, as, although I won't go near as far as Peter King did, I told no. Glenn earlier I think it's a boring play. And yeah, a, boring, a boring run by a running back. Are you can do the same thing as you just stated with a running back. It's a boring play. So what? If boring is I re- effective, I, I want to be boring. I, exactly. I think the, distance, I I think the difference is there. There's a. It's a design play. Yeah, I think that's it the, is. that's what it is. But I rarely get bored by our team getting a first down or a touchdown <laughs> on that play. Rarely, you know. But yeah, anyway, but if, that's, another, that's, if another team did it, you go, "Oh my God, that's a boring play." Um, not not really. I'd be like, "Can't we stop this? <laughs> is there some way we can stop this?" I don't know. I, I it doesn't bother me one bit, and yeah. uh, you know, it is what it is. Also. I think the Eagles are 2-0 and for the first time back-to-back in, like, 30 years or something. There was a stat I heard yesterday uh, or the day before about that. And it, you would think if you came down from outer space and listened to this station the last two weeks, you'd think we were 0-2. So, I don't know about that. I, I, don't, and, I think it's not quite as uh, dramatic as you say. Um, but I also think there is some of, you know – when Jody looks at social media and the people who pop up are the people who are going crazy, it's to a degree it's the people who call the station. Mm-hmm. People who are who are happy and satisfied sit down and you know enjoy dinner. People who are upset call the station. It's kind of always worked that way. Yeah, you, you and I've been doing it thirty years. Yeah. Shocker, has it yeah. changed <laughs> from back when we were doing it? It was the right, same exact that. thing in the nineties. Right. What motivates people to call is they are either entirely euphorically joyful, the Eagles have just won the Super Bowl, or they're completely unhappy. That's that's the way the world works. Uh, Ed in Northeast, let's squeeze him in before the break. Hello, Ed. Hey guys, thanks for taking a call. I, I, just, I just want to talk, talk about my take for the first two games. Um, well, the two pot. I mean, the offensive line is still the best offensive line in football. I think the defensive line might have even got better. They look deeper. They look faster. Two things I, I am worried about, though, and I think I, I think the linebacker situation is going to be a big problem. I, I really do. You, you, I mean, especially in the first game, they were just getting killed up the middle of the whole game. And I think any team with a good tight end is just going to have a field day with them. And you're talking about going back to the Super Bowl. 
and that's something that, that, that's going to be exposed. And I, and I, I don't, I'm also not crazy about Brian Johnson's play calling so far. I mean, I'm not saying all these, these things can't get better as the, as the season goes by, especially the linebackers. They're all young linebackers. But uh, is the team as good as they were last year so far? I'd say no. So, I don't know. I just want to hear your take on that. Thanks, guys. You got it. Thank you. Joe? Yeah, I heard some criticism. Again, if we're handicapping, evaluating the WIP caller lines for what that's worth. Um, oh, you know what I can bring up as a point? Yesterday I'm in the car. I'm listening to that McNow guy with Sealski. Yeah, and Mike Sealski makes the point, maybe we should give a standing ovation to the Eagles offensive play caller. And it kind of came out of left field. I'm sitting in the car doing the same thing. You're going, where'd that come from, Mike? Uh, but, yes, uh, the the Eagles play call of Brian Johnson has been a little under fire for the way. Again, they're 2-0. and It's two games in. They're 2-0. and I will reserve judgment on whether I think the Eagles have had a drop-off at their play caller with Shane Steichen leaving. I will give a tip of the cap and credit to the offensive uh, play caller for going – you know what, why don't we just run the football here and run it right down their throats? That's a very good sign as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to judge uh, the, the Eagle offense after only two games because the passing game isn't as uh, highfalutin as it was last year after two games. I entirely agree. By the way, uh, nice update. Happy to hear the Phillies put out a release that said this morning, uh, Phillies received a positive update from Charlie Manuel's wife, Missy. Charlie has made progress over the past 12 hours. His doctors are encouraged. The Manuel family is very appreciative for every post on social media. Charlie feels the love from his fans. So that's just really good news to hear. Very happy to hear that. Uh, okay, coming up, well, well, we'll take your calls. We're going to talk to Todd Zalecki at some point, um, who is down out in St. Louis with the Phillies, although Todd's uh, actually going to get called into a – Meeting with the manager, so we're going to have to rearrange his schedule. I'm sorry, I'm doing off-air stuff on the air, uh, and and a, and a, you know how that happens, Joe. Oh yeah, I'm I'm talking to you, and I just got a text from him saying, "Hey, can we move that around?" So we'll move it around. How about this? How about coming up? We do the Jody Mac College Football Review. You up for that? I can do that. Not a problem, uh, Mac man. Uh, we'll do that in the next segment. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mac, now ninety four WIP. Sunday morning, 94 WIP. So many great NFL games today, which we are all looking forward to watching today, tonight, Monday. They got the two Monday night games now, Jody, including uh, next week when the Eagles play. The Eagles are the, I think the Eagles have a 7.30 kickoff a week from Monday against uh, Tampa Bay. 7.15. Wow. It's going to be the world's shortest pregame show. (laughs) I'll be there. Something tells me you'll be doing a full Eagles pregame show. I, I don't know. I don't know because it's on a Monday, so it's after uh, it's after the, those guys and the and the drive show, um, John and Ike. Anyway, that's not really the issue, but there is a full array of NFL football coming this weekend. But last night, yesterday during the day and the night, it was college football's time. And I always used to like having with Ray the college football preview. Now with Jody, we get the Sunday college football review. Uh, this is where I jump in and That's your take cue, the yeah. cue. Okay, sorry, didn't know. Um, yeah, I stayed up till two fifteen, two twenty, watching the end of that Colorado game. They are the most talked about team in college football. 
they were uh, that's where NF, uh, ESPN's College Game Day came from. I get up at nine o'clock on Saturday morning and start watching right away. And uh, what they've done is pretty spectacular. They are three and zero and were losing by ten points with six minutes to go and rallied and tied the game and then won it in overtime. So give Deion Sanders that much cre- that much credit. Now some people have gone overboard and oh they're going to win the whole thing. They were twenty three and a half point favorites going into yeah. last night's game yeah, and they yeah. needed overtime to actually pull it out. So uh, pump the brakes a little bit on they're going to win the whole thing. But from where they came, one and ten last year to be three and zero at this point is pretty darn impressive unto itself. And it was a tremendously exciting game. The other thing, again, sorry to rain on the uh, prime time bandwagon, but I take it you didn't watch this game. You sure as hell didn't watch it as late oh, yeah, as I I'm, did, right, Mac? I'm long asleep by that time. Please, if I give you one seventy five as an over under. For the penalty yards on Colorado State, yeah. which would you take? Yeah. <laughs> if well, you took the under, you lost because yeah, it was 176. I, I yeah. 176 penalty yards. Colorado State basically lost the game as much as Colorado won it. Uh, so, again, give Prime credit for what he's done out there in Boulder. Uh, next week at Oregon, who's averaging about 55 points a game so far in the first three weeks of the season. And then two weeks hence, uh, USC, who's a legitimate college football playoff potential team. Uh, if they're 3-0 and now, if they're 6-0, I'll come on here and say, damn, you know, they could actually make it to the college football playoff. I don't think that's going to happen. So that was the exciting game late. The early game that I thought was tremendously, at least intriguing, Mac, Alabama wins. Again, uh, wins. They yeah. got beat. They got taken down by Texas uh, uh, last week. Come back this week. They're a massive favorite against South Florida. It's 3-3 with 20 minutes left to play. Five mm-hmm. minutes in the third quarter, the game is tied at three. They decided to move away from their starting quarterback after the loss in Texas. They go to their second-string quarterback. He's awful, I think, like four of nine for 35 yards in uh, the first and second quarter. So they go to their third quarterback of the year, who played a little bit better. Simpson played better than the, the kid who started. And after the game, Saban would not commit to who his starting quarterback is for next week. Yeah. So this early in the season, Alabama already has a quandary as to who's going to quarterback their team. All they've done is produce NFL starting quarterbacks in Alabama for the last 10 years. Tua Tungavaloa, Stroud, Justin, uh, just one after the other after uh, Bryant, uh, excuse me, Bryce Young. Um, and Mac Jones, who the Eagles uh, stopped okay last yeah, yeah, week, yeah. but he made but he's some an plays. NFL quarterback. You know, they, they exactly. Do. They, do. they don't yeah, those have guys an NFL com- quarterback. The guys yesterday went and combined 10 for 23 and took five sacks. That is oh. not the Alabama we are used to. Uh, Jody, and that, and that one, was against South Florida, not Georgia. Right. The well, defense that so, they were playing. Georgia, which is number one, apparently had a little bit of a tough day, too. Pulled away in the second half the way they're supposed to. I equate Georgia a lot to the Philadelphia Eagles yesterday's performance. Oh, my God, how did they not win by 40 points? Who cares? You won and had this conversation last night on CBS. Uh, Georgia fan coming out. The the offense isn't good. Todd Munkin moved on. We're not the same offense. Georgia is the only team in college football that doesn't have to worry about style points. They're number one. They've got the two-time defending champions. They've got the, uh, the, the, the top rating and will have the top rating. All they have to do is win. 
they don't have to win by 40. They just win, and they're guaranteed to be in the playoffs. So I would put them in the same boat as the Eagles. Don't worry about the final score. Just tell me if they won or lost, and Georgia won again yesterday. All right, one other one I wanted to ask you if you had a chance to watch Florida State because I saw they, too, looked kind of average. Yeah, Bill Boston College, uh, very motivated yesterday. It was honor of one of the uh, Boston College graduates who got uh, killed in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and uh, I thought they had a very good and supportive and rowdy crowd that made it a uh, tougher game. Yeah, Florida State at number three. Uh, again, they did win. They did what they had to in a tough environment on the road. Wouldn't hold it against them, uh, the fact that they're still undefeated. One other stat that I saw that was great last night, bet most fans wouldn't uh, know this and or would be surprised by it. What team in college football, Glenn Mack now, has scored 30 or more points for the most consecutive weeks? Temple. Incorrect, but a good guess. <laughs> I don't know Penn State. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Which Coach Franklin takes a lot of grief, and I think he's a pretty damn good coach. But, again, judging by certain individuals chiming in about that, you'd think that Penn State was massively underachieving and that Franklin has no idea how to run an offense. Have scored 30 points or more in more games than any team in college football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can do that. They can do that. All right, Jerry Mack, great college football review. Appreciate that. Let's talk to Nick in Collegeville. What's going on, Nick? Hey, guys. How we doing? Good. Good. So last weekend, I fell asleep watching your mugs on TV drinking beer. <laughs> it's a pumpkin special. I, Jody, I, and I woke up the next should day. Should we be offended by that, Jody? No, no. Absolutely, no, absolutely not. What time was it on? Was it on the same time as Colorado? Colorado State? Did you no, catch the re-air at 2 o'clock in the morning? It. This was last weekend. It was like 1130. Okay. So and then I woke up the next day and you guys were on the radio. I was like, okay, what's what's going on? I got dizzy. I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> we never stopped. We just kept going. Yeah. You guys did yeah, right to the marathon. Jody, I agree that it's a boring the tush push is a boring play. But it's strategically a an advantageous play. And yep. there's I can name five. I'll just go real slow and name two or three. Quarterback sneak, just a standard quarterback sneak. Boring but strategically good. How about a kneel down when there's two seconds left at halftime? Boring mm-hmm. but strategically smart. And when it's third and 39 and you're on your two-yard line and you just draw, you do just hand off a draw. Right. Like These are just boring strategical plays to help you win the game or conserve the game. So there's tons of plays in the NFL that are boring. Now, they should be rewarded for ingenuity. And, and that's the only reason why I don't want it banned because – just like Belichick came up with stuff with Tom Brady and, and we had DBs playing wide receiver and wide receivers playing DBs when nobody thought about that in, in the modern day. They did it back in the old days when they played on both sides of the football. But, you know, good coaches should be um, rewarded for their ingenuity, in my opinion. And it's funny that you went with Belichick. One of the little-known facts or forgotten facts, Tom Brady is one of the greatest quarterback sneakers in the history of the yes. National Football League. You don't think of Brady in that. Jalen Hurts is a guy who can well, rush for 1,000 yards in a season. Tom Brady never would, but he was phenomenal at the quarterback sneak. He just didn't have somebody pushing him from behind. Yeah, you, you don't want Tom Brady in a five-yard dash because you would lose it. But, but Tom Brady in a <laughs> – Or out for a pass. Oh, right, right, right. Ooh, good one, Mac <laughs> man. Yeah, that's right. And listen, I agree. There should be a penalty. When, if, you, if you do something extraordinary to try and score six points at the goal line, okay – then you should be penalized when your actions okay. uh, call. But should you lose possession of the ball? No. I, I, like I said, I agree with you guys. It should be 
Take I don't know who would 20, go. Take it as a 15, whatever. I would take go it. loss of down. I, maybe loss yeah, of down, 10 yard penalty. Um, or you do, or you, like you said, first and 10 is a 20, start all over again. Yeah, I think there, and thanks, Nick. I think there's a way to do it. I, I think if you polled football fans, and I imagine if you polled football players and football executives and everybody, 80% of the people would say that's a bad rule. But they've never changed. It's come up a million times. They've never shown any interest in changing it. The tush push, they negotiate. They, they want to change. That thing they're happy with. Don't get it. All right, 215-592-9494. Your call's coming up. Um, we're here until 1, what time are we here? One thirty-five today. So all kinds of time to talk to you. With Jody McDonald, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Mack and Mack here with you on 94 WIP. Hey, when you open the Bet Parks app, you are officially in the zone. Winning is always a rush, but the money is in the moment. It's the anticipation of another face card, the thrill of an extra spin, or the joy of a jackpot. It's all in your favorite casino games, right at your fingertips, plus the chance to bet on all your favorite sports. It's the confidence of the underdogs covering the tension before a clutch turnover and the pride of a parlay playing off. Got a couple of good games, full sled of games in the NFL today. If you ask me, I kind of like the Dolphins and the 49ers, but that's just me. Hey, for you new users, if you haven't played with Parks before, download the app. Get up to $1,000 casino bonus back if you're down in the first 24 hours. The Bet Parks app has all your favorite casino games, including 8-8 Fortunes, Cleopatra Gold, and more. New users, $1,000 casino bonus back if you're not a winner in the first 24 hours. So whether you're gaming or playing the games in the NFL today, the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app is the place to be. Join me now in the zone. Jordy McDonald, Glenn Mack now, Sunday on 94 WIP, leading up to Phillies Cardinals. Uh, by the way, Jody, a previous caller brought up uh, watching you on um, – my my beer show and i did want to thank you because the episode the two of them that you did on um this season on what's brewing were just great and hysterical and you are just a naturally funny guy thank you for that and oh by the way anytime you need me to come out and drink beer in the middle of the day i'm volunteering i'll make myself available for you it is not a bad gig at all so feel free to invite me back whenever you want I love when we tried beers from the four cities in the NFC East and ranked the football teams by the beers. I think we were all surprised how much we disliked Lone Star, which is kind of an iconic beer, but that was swill, yes. Awful. Yeah. Uh, And on a separate note, uh, I got several people who replied back, wait, is Jody becoming an IPA guy? After you, I think it was the Goose Island that you enjoyed. Yes. Uh, Mac, I say this all the time. Uh, I've I've said it when I'm hanging with you drinking beers in the middle of the day. I'm not a beer snob. I'm not an, oh, my God, I must drink my. No, I'm kind of open-minded. Yeah. Specifically if the price is free. I'll try anything once, (laughs) twice, three times. I do bring that with me, yeah. Um, I, I enjoy a nice IPA. If I walk into a bar and I have my choice of any beer, then, yeah, I'm uh, born bred a Bud Man, and that will be my choice 19 out of 20 times. One out of 20, I'll go, yeah, let me try something different. And an IPA will be right at the top of my potential list. I don't dislike it. People think if you don't put it, it's number one. Oh, you hate it. Absolutely not the case. I, I, I'll have a good IPA. If somebody gives it to me, I'm not going to go, hey, Jody, we want to try this? It's an IPA. No. 
I'm never going to say that. I'll try it. I'll probably enjoy it, as a matter of fact. I'm just a loyal guy as well and have been to the King of Beers for a very long time. Well, you and I, I hope you have this on your calendar. I think you do. Uh, this coming Friday night. Yeah. Going to be drinking uh, as much beer as you like on me uh, because a very nice guy named Pat donated to uh, a charity thing we were doing. I think it was the Fransky in L.A. beer release event, yep. I believe. And so Friday night is the night we're all going to gather up and meet at um, Conchalk and Brewing Puddler's Kitchen out in King of, uh, I'm sorry, out in Bridgeport and and drink beer and eat food. So I appreciate you uh, volunteering to do that, Jody. Um, You're a good guy. I'm very much looking forward to Friday. Friday's going to be a long day for me because yeah, I'm imagine. up I'm up at Parks for a handicapping seminar. Saturday is the Pennsylvania Derby, biggest uh, thoroughbred horse race day of the year at Parks. So I'm up there on Friday. I'll stick around, bet a couple of races afterwards, then go out and join you and have a couple of beers. Then i got to go back to Parks the next day mm. and do a Saturday show. The, the, uh, the, the Birds boys are off on next Saturday. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm going to Parks for two straight days and drinking beer with you in the middle. That sounds like a weekend for me. Yeah, really. And they pay us for these things. Yes, so. they do. It's amazing. It's a, it's, a, it's a racket we got going. All right. Mike in Holland is with us. Mike's got tush-push opinions. Yeah, hi. hi. Um, you know, I think the most boring team in the last 60 years was probably one of the greatest teams of all time was the Green Bay Packers. And they ran the same play over and over and over. They never changed it. Yeah, the sweep and couldn't stop it. They couldn't stop it, and Lombardi said, I'm going to run it every play until you can stop it. And if you can't stop it, I'll run it <laughs> ten times in a row, and he did. Yep. I find none of this boring, by the way. I love a running game. I love a sweep. I love watching offensive linemen mow guys down. Jason Kelsey running down the field mowing guys down has been something I've enjoyed for more than a decade. And uh, I, I have no problem with the tush-push either, so – Mike, we are Kelsey, cut from the same cloth. Well, there you go. Kelsey will be hard to replace. I watched the movie la- or the uh, documentary last night. It's great, isn't it? It is better than great. Yes. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Jody, did you have a chance to check that out? Specifically, I waited, and I watched it Thursday starting at about 5 o'clock because I know the game's coming up at 8. Mm. So I put the time aside to watch that leading into the game, leave enough time to catch a little Mac now on the pregame show. But I started watching it at 5 o'clock on Thursday. I'd been meaning to watch all week. I said, no, let me save it till Thursday. It was just phenomenal. Stone cold. uh, How do you not love this guy? You don't have to be an Eagle fan. If you're an Eagle fan, you'll like him a lot. Uh, Excuse me, if you're a non-Eagle fan. If you're an Eagle fan, you'll just flat out love him. Uh, tremendously well produced. He was great. His wife almost stole the show. She was terrific. She was with so the, the good. Little daughters. They were yeah, absolutely tremendous. Great. You know a scene I liked because it. What one of the things that's good is he really did allow he and his wife, the cameras to get into seeing their real life. Yep. Because the one time his wife is mad at him is after the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, he and Travis host Saturday Night Live. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's home with, like, the, 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 all the three little daughters. And he's like, well, i got to stay in New York and do this. I'll be home tomorrow. And the wife goes, fine. <laughs> and as a married guy, Jody, can we agree? We've all heard that fine. Been there. Right. Done that. <laughs> we know that fine does not mean fine. No, not even that. And, and to Jason's credit, they, first of all, he allowed them to shoot it all. And he said, 
yeah, I'm not winning any husband of the year awards or father of the year awards. He didn't attempt to justify what he was doing. He took the bullets that he was taking from both his wife and anyone who was watching the show at the time going, yeah, you're out there on the limb there, big guy. Yeah. Uh, good luck when you get home to the house. Yeah, but they are a great family. They really came across as such a great family. Loved it. Everybody should watch that. Uh, Mitchy Tools, been a while. How are you doing, Mitch? Yeah, gentlemen, happy New Year, healthy New Year. Thank hey, you. Mitch. Same to you. Hey, Jody. You know, talk about beer. You know, I when I go to a bar, and I've had your stuff, Glenn, locally, uh, you know, in Center City, but I just leave it up to the bartender or waitress. Bring me, you know, something good because it's confusing beer. I mean, you know, I'm just a regular beer guy, and uh, but you know said, your stuff is and really that, And listen, I always think that's a great strategy. I I have so much respect for bartenders and the wait staff, that if you say, bring yeah. me something interesting. Now, yeah. you're taking a risk because interesting mm-hmm. may not be what you want, but I, I think bartenders and, and those people are, are just great. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, nine out of ten times they hit that. I said, give me something light that's not, you know, I'm going to have a sandwich or something that's going to be nice. But listen, Eagles, I'll take quarterback sneaks all day and, and keep pounding the ball you know, a win's a win, and you got great running backs. I I think you're not going to see. I mean, you know, everybody talks about the, you know the defense from the other team. You know, figuring out Jalen Hurts' schemes, but these running backs, I was very impressed. And listen, a quarterback sneak is a quarterback sneak. I still love to watch them. And you know, mm-hmm. two two wins under the belt. I know I know every game's different, and every team's different. And sure, you're going to see. You know, Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, he's still a little rusty. And as the game's going, you're still going to see 30, 40-yard passes. But the running game, it, it reminded me of an old-fashioned game the other night against the yep. Vikings. And they could, and they, and thanks, Mitch. Jody, the Vikings knew it was coming, and they could not stop it. Uh, it appears to me that Minnesota's going to have real problems all year against the run. You know, it wasn't exactly a stout defense. But when your passing game doesn't work and you can say, okay, we'll just run for 240 yards, that's not a bad alternative. And uh, I know that a couple people made this point before the season ever started. There's a good chance that despite the fact that the Eagles were favoring their first two games, they were supposed to win them both, they did. Might be the two best defensive concept guys that they'll face all year. Because you got Belichick and you got a Belichick disciple in Flores, who was a very good defense quarter before he had his failed attempt at head coaching in Miami is now back what he does best, doing uh, defensive play calls. And, oh, by the way, yeah, he had the Eagles pretty damn confused in the first quarter with his three-man looks and dropping eight and the like. And the Eagles did exactly what you're supposed to do. If team's going to do that to you and go with light boxes, run it right down their throats. And that's exactly what Brian Johnson did. Congratulations to him for doing yeah. it. Yeah. They almost got Rashad Penny involved almost. Almost. Think he'll be Not part really. of it at some point? I honestly don't know, Mac. I'm so confused because I thought Swift was their best choice to start the season, and Gainwell ended up being the guy in game number one, heavy number one running back. I get it that there's a confidence level, a trust level in him because he was here last year and the other two guys weren't, but I thought Swift, for what he had done in his career, and uh, I know they all played so minimally in preseason. You can't judge off the preseason, the joint practices. I guess Gainwell was the best. I thought it should have been Swift from game number one. be very interesting to see how, when Gamewell's back, how they decide to uh, use the carries in game number two, whether it's going to be a joint affair or they're going to stay with a number one back. 
I think it may be game-to-game situation if they change. And I think there will be, at some point, the Rashad Penny game. But we shall see. I'll sneak in Mark before the top of the hour. What's on your mind today, Mark? Guys, great show as usual. Love it. Thank you, you sir. Quick, I'd like your comment on this, guys. You know, sustained success in sports is based on adjustment. You come out, you're successful one year doing X, Y, Z, and people adjust to it. So in addition to the running game, which I love, I love that Lombardi ball. It reminded me of 2021 uh, when we did that. But what, what do you think they could do in the passing game to offset these weird fronts they're seeing? I mean, do you roll Jalen out? Do you go two tight ends and, and look for short stuff over the middle? Is it a combination? How, how do you kind of – I know the run game will loosen up the pass, but – just for the passing game, what do you do to address these weird fronts we're seeing? Do what they did, run them down the other team's throat. Now, they stuck with it the other night because they had to lead and you're taking time off the clock. But if you're in a game where uh, it is a uh, closer one-score game and the like, maybe the other team has to adjust on a fly. I don't think Minnesota adjusted near quickly enough or enough and that's why they just continued to do what they did. So you, you have to – no one ever likes to admit this, that the other team at least in part dictates to you. But that's just the fact, sure. Jack, on a week-in, week-out basis. So you have to have faith in your offensive setup that when the defense shows you something, you do something against that gives you an advantage. Makes sense. Got it. But do you think there's anything else they could do in ter- for, to help Jalen out, like maybe roll up. them out? It'll open up. I hope so. I think yeah, you're right. But. It, it, it will. It's not – again, it's two games where the passing game hasn't looked good. He hasn't looked especially sharp. He, even his running isn't what it was. There's 17 games in the season. The guy's a he's – a, he's a high-caliber quarterback. He's that. He's he, I think he's going to be fine. Mac, if I were to have one critique of the Eagles' offense the other night and uh, the way they handled it uh, overall was phenomenal, but – I, I did play the game. I didn't think you could bet the game because I thought the Eagles were going to win by about six points, and that was the line. And what happened? Yeah, yeah. The Eagles won by six points. But I thought it was go, would go over. I thought it would be a high enough scoring game. Cousins make a couple mm-hmm. plays. Good Eagles call. offense would. Uh, not only did I bet the over before the game, I bet the over in game. At halftime, mm-hmm. it actually came down a little bit. So I doubled up and went back in. But the parlays that I played, and I had a good line of reasoning, but I ended up losing I thought they would try and get the ball to Dallas Goddard because he had exactly zero catches in week number one. And they did. But I bet yards by Dallas Goddard rather than number of receptions, which I should have done. If I just hit the the, the number of catches rather than that was an over and I played the over. So that would be my one critique. Is Dallas Goddard allowed to run a pattern more than three yards? Every time they threw him the ball, it was like a yard and a half over the line of scrimmage. Dallas got to has the ability to get downfield if they're going to use Dallas again this week and, and try and take advantage of the fact that he's going to be able to beat uh, linebacker coverage and or safety coverage. Get him down the field a little bit there, Brian Johnson. I absolutely agree. 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Jordan McDonald, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Later in the hour, we will talk to Todd Zalecki, MLB.com. He's out in uh, St. Louis with the Phils. Get the latest on what's going on there. Maybe some info on uh, what's going to happen with the rotation. We'll take your calls. 
Uh, up until 135 at 215-592-9494. And, Jody, you and I don't always get to do our Sunday shows during the football season, of course, but we are today. And that is the opportunity to do a This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, something I always love doing with you. And uh, there are two that I want to give you today. By the way, I do want to credit the book This Day in Philadelphia Sports by Brian Startari and Kevin Reavy, which is a great resource that I use when I put this thing together. So I want those guys to get the credit for that. Um, Okay, Jody, we will go back to 1989. Right about when you came to Philadelphia, yes? That would be the year before. I came in 90, so 89 was just before I got here. Okay, well, I came here in 1986, and I was at this game where the Eagles hosted the Washington – I was not at this game. It was uh, RFK Stadium. Excuse me. I watched this game when the Eagles played the Washington Redskins at RFK Stadium, and Randall Cunningham, who was angling for a contract, well, he threw five touchdown passes that day, including this final one. Keith Jackson catches the touchdown. Randall throws five touchdown passes, 447 passing yards he had that day. It broke the franchise record, which, by the way, has since been broken by one Nicholas Foles. (laughs) But he had a day, got a new contract. Everything was great. Jody, we were going to win Super Bowls. Uh, Yeah. We were pretty confident. Then, then unfortunately, a couple things went awry. We revisit Buddy Ryan and offense and Randall's injury and the like. But uh, they should have won. You had Seth Joyner on yesterday, and he made the comparison between uh, the Eagles' stud rookie defensive tackle and Jerome Brown. Uh, Yeah, I got here just as the Buddy Ryan era was wrapping up. The fact that they made no extended football run for those who've been Eagle fans for 40 years, that's probably one of the errors they, they look back on and go, yeah, why not? Why, why, why didn't this team do it? Absolutely. There's a whole bunch of reasons for yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we know it. We've litigated it. It was Buddy's shortcomings. Some of it might have been Randall's shortcomings and so on. But it was, it was a fun era of football. That I will give you. Okay, that was the ecstasy. Now I'm going to give you the agony. And you and I were working together at this time. It is 1997, Monday Night Football. So that's, what, 26 years ago. Eagles are playing in Dallas to the Oh, I know where you're going with this one. Ty Detmer was the quarterback (laughs) that day. The Eagles – there's no laughing. The Eagles are up. Then they're down. They're down 21 to 20. There was like a weird pass interference call. I think on Mike Mamula, which was a bad call because the ball was tipped, but whatever. The Cowboys score. They go ahead. The Eagles get the ball late. They got to drive down the field. Final seconds, they're down 21-20. to Ty Detmer throws a 46-yard pass to Freddie Solomon at the Dallas Five. These are not famous names in Eagle history, mm-hmm. by the way. No, Freddie's pretty famous. Not as an Eagle. Freddie Solomon was, I mean, he was passing through town. Oh, I the think you e- said Freddie Mitchell. My no, Freddie Solomon. Freddie Solomon. No. Freddie Solomon. It is It is co- tied him, not quite. Tied up murder, Freddie Solomon. The Eagles are at the Dallas 5. Tick, tick, tick. Time is running down. they got to kick a field goal. On runs the kicker. On runs the holder. Tommy Hutton. Here's what happens.
Tommy Hutton dropped the stinking snap. Yeah. So I know what I did after that because I still feel it on rainy days. That's what I was laughing about, Max. Yeah, that's okay. Sorry, I knew where you were I, going. I uh, that's why I laughed prior to your even setting it up. Yeah. So the, my wife's long asleep. I'm watching that game by myself in the family room, right? And they, I mean, you heard what just happened. They're going to win the game against the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Tommy Hutton drops the snap, tries to pick it up, fumbles it. Chris Bolniel was the Eagles kicker. Like, it's a disaster. I stood up and kicked the end table with bare feet <laughs> as hard as I could, and I broke a toe. I, I mean, you know this because we work together. And I broke a toe, and I still, like, if it's rainy or chilly or the weather is turning, my my, my big toe will let me know that. I, I, I will live with that one forever. I remember I then I turned off the TV, turned off the light, and this is when TVs, when you turn them off, you would still see that tiny little dot in the middle for a few seconds. Right. I just stood there and looked at that dot, sat there in the dark, my toe throbbing, deciding I wasn't I wasn't going to try to, like, soothe my toe or do anything i deserved the pain and the thing i remember uh, other than you're telling that story the day yeah. after uh more than anything else was it, tommy hutton dropped the ball and i think we all know tommy hutton dropped the ball. those who were eagle fan back then certainly remember it's in their mind it's imprinted they can't get it out you were pretty um harsh on chris boniel the next day which he really didn't do anything nah, it wasn't wrong. His fault. Nah, but you had this uh, over, uh, uh, I don't even know the word to describe it, but uh, anyone yeah. who came to the Philadelphia Eagles, yeah. who didn't live up to expectations, mm. who formerly had played for the Dallas Cowboys, God, you were not afraid to put the vitriol out there for Yeah. Him. Well, you, um, you just hate ex Cowboys coming to Eagles, even when it wasn't his fault. Uh, you somehow found a fault. way to include him in on, yeah. and it was because Boniel's an ex-Cowboy. Uh, I will tell you now that we are two-plus decades later that you have a valid point. Uh, <laughs> but I will also tell you that Chris Boniel was not a very good kicker for the Eagles. Chris Boniel no, was wasn't. a great kicker for the Cowboys which because it was a great stadium to kick in there. And he came here, and it was the vet, and it was windy, and it was, you know, the turf was bad. And he just he wasn't a very good kicker here. So he he disappointed in his performance. That night was not his fault. I will – Jody, if it gives you solace 25 years, 26 years later, I will concede the point. Okay. But yeah. I didn't – but to be, to be fair, can we agree that pretty much most ex-Cowboys have come to the Eagles have been horrible? More often than not, yes. Orlando that's exactly Skandrick? The way it's played. Yeah. Um, God, I'm zotting on the name. Uh, the running back from a couple of years ago, Chip Kelly, uh, the yeah. ex Cowboy running back who came here. Go ahead, DeMarco Dan. Murray. Oh, my yeah. God, what a bust he was. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a fair share of ex Cowboys. Now, you know who got, was the Miles guy who Austin. came here and was actually Miles not Austin bad? was awful, yes. Kmart wasn't bad. Yeah, he was okay. Kelvin Martin was yeah. good with the Cowboys and actually came here, was pretty good with the Eagles as well. Uh, more in your descriptive uh, category, they stink after they leave Dallas and come to Philadelphia. But Kmart was a guy who actually did well in both cities.
There was another guy back in the day who was a linebacker. They got was I, I think his name might have just been Smith. Uh, Felix Jones, he stunk too. That was it. Well, how about that G. Cobb guy? No, that was the other direction. That's what I mean. Well, no, he, he was here and got traded to the Cowboys. No, 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 he was at the – wait, 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 wait. Yeah, he was at the Cowboys and came here. That's yeah, right. Yeah, and was That's good because right, he, he got traded it. for so, Wilbur Montgomery. I knew G Whoa. in Detroit. When really? I De- yeah. I never I worked, knew that. Yeah, so I worked in Detroit before I moved here, and G played for the Lions. And Gary – by the way, I just ran into Gary the other night at the game. Really? Um, Gary was a guy who you knew you could go into the locker room and get an intelligent opinion. Mm-hmm. Even then, and I'm talking before I moved to Philadelphia, I moved to Philadelphia at the end of 1986. So I was in Detroit working for the Detroit Free Press, and uh, Gary Cobb was always a guy like, you know what, I need somebody to say something smart. Let's go find Gary. <laughs> but, yeah, he came from the Cowboys to here. Yeah, he was good. But Chris Bonio, Felix Jones, DeMarco Murray, Miles Austin, Orlando Scandrick, I mean, that's, that's – I'll take that as bad precedent. More misses than hits. I will Oof. certainly agree with Oof. you on that. Yeah, stay away. But I remember the next day, and you're screaming and yelling at Fonio. I'm going, wait a minute. Fonio didn't do anything wrong. That's on Hutton. He dropped the ball. He's an ex-cowboy. That's why the play blew up, because we can't get players from that stinking town. Jody, and I, I laughed with you. That was my toe talking. That was my broken <laughs> toe. My throbbing broken toe <laughs> talking. So that was, everybody, that was this week in Philadelphia. Sports history. I like when we can do that. Uh, let's get Mike uh, from Florida. Where are you down in Florida, Mike? Uh, it's a little town called Pompano Beach, halfway between I Coca. lived in Pompano Beach once upon a time. Get out of town. It's yeah. totally changed, but it's beautiful. Yeah. I used to, uh, my first job was I wrote for the uh, Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. Let me tell you, the radio stations down here make me appreciate you guys up north so much more. Thank man. you. Thank you. And by the Thank way, I go all the way back to Mickey D's and the Berlin Circle. Oh, everybody <laughs> says the Berlin Circle. We did some shows there. That was pretty cool. Yep. That was great. By the way, um, I got a few points. I'm not overly concerned about the supposed, you know, not great start from the uh, Eagles. And there's several reasons, but I got two points. Number one, and you guys could tell better than I could, I don't think that there's ever been two teams that have had to start the season with two games within 10 days of the beginning of the season. So there's a lack of prep work. And of those two teams, one of us is 2-0, and and the other one is 0-2. Yeah, the Vikings, uh, for a team that went 13-4 and last year, getting out to an 0-2 start, a little bit of a hold they got to dig themselves They were out. kind of a fraud last year. They Remember, they won, like, all those games, like, really close games. Yep. And I, I don't want to take anything away from doing that, but I don't think On anybody – On top of re- that, yeah, if I could make one more point, yeah. Um, going back to the game itself uh, the other day, um, it was a fairly close game, obviously, but there was one play – that did not go our way that should have, which was the bomb almost TD to Brown in the end zone that fall in the replay was an obvious penalty. Yeah. If that yeah, would have but, been reviewed and but, called properly. But hold, hold on, hold on. And uh, I talked about this on my Birds 365 show on Friday. Mac, did you, and, and I watched a bunch of games last week, it seems to me, we always talk about the edict that comes down from the NFL that they're mm-hmm. going to be uh, cognizant of the next year. They call it a lot in preseason. Usually it's penalties. I think what they did this year was 
they said, let the defensive backs play. Because you're right. That that pass to Brown was an obvious offensive pass interference. There was a play late in the game where Justin Evans came over the Vikings' defensive uh, receiver's back, was there about three seconds before the ball hit, was leaning over him on his helmet to knock the ball away and no flag. And I'm going, wait a minute. I thought I knew what pass interference was. I guess I don't anymore. That game, they let the players play on the outside. Both sides, not just Eagles-Vikings, but Vikings-Eagles. Well, there were a couple of pass interference penalties that the Eagles got away with, too. That's an interesting thought you have if it is something coming down from the league. If that's the case, I'm happy with that. Yes, me too. I I let them play a little bit. I'm good with that. Um, And one thing that may play into your point is, I forget the name of the former referee that they use to analyze it. Uh, oh, Terry yeah. Terry was always the really good one. I forget who this, this guy's name. Terry McCauley, I believe it was. Terry, it was Terry McCauley. Thank you. Dan Wilson knows everything. <laughs> anyway, Terry McCauley's going like, nah, I don't think it's a penalty. Nah, barely touched Absolutely him. Absolutely right. And I'm thinking. Really? I think it is a penalty. I don't know where you're getting your marching orders. So it may be that, uh, you know, they, they kind of are going that way. By the way, we made a mistake, and shame on us. And I want to thank my friend Saul from Channel 3 for great news. Gary Cobb went from Detroit to Philadelphia. I should have known it, for God's sakes. He was traded for Wilbert Montgomery, but Wilbert went to the Lions. He didn't go to the, the – the, so Gary was traded from Detroit to Philadelphia and then, then went left to Philadelphia okay. for Dallas. So G does not have the taint of former Cowboy on him when he came to Philadelphia. Fair enough. G, you know my favorite And, and G was, was okay with the Cowboys, too. He's one of those guys who was good in both places, whichever order – Went first of the two, G was solid in both and a good quote in both, as you correctly pointed out. I'm sticking by my theory that guys who come from Dallas to Philadelphia, like I just, it does. If Kelvin Martin's our best example, it's, it's, you know, he was fine, but that's not exactly an all pro bar. My favorite story in that is if you ever talk to Harold Carmichael, Hall of Fame receiver for the Eagles, the Eagles cut him. He's not ready to retire. You know, the Eagles are after those years with Vermeer. It's like where they're going to move ahead, and so they, they get rid of him. And he doesn't want to retire, and he gets offered a gig in Dallas. So he goes down to Dallas. And he said he felt funny about it, just never felt right. And he suits up for a game. He said he put on the helmet, looked at himself in the mirror, and said, Harold, this isn't what you should be doing. Can't do this. Six games in, he retired. So. Harold give, will always be an Eagle. I'll give you one more guy who I'm I'm pretty sure went Dallas to Philadelphia, who was good in both places, probably better here in Philadelphia. We don't have many of those where they actually get better when they come to Philadelphia. I'll ask Dan Wilson to look this up. I should remember it off the top of my head. I don't. Don't want to go 100% on it. Baldy. Was Baldy not Baldy a Cowboy first and then came here to the Eagles? Let me look him up. Uh, there's Gary Baldinger, there's Rich Baldinger, there's Brian Baldinger. Started with Brian. the Cowboys, ended with the Eagles. That's... Started with the Cowboys, ended with the Eagles, where he was a fine backup. I would say he was better foot... with the Eagles than he was with the Cowboys. That's how he ended up in Philadelphia. He wasn't I good enough down in Dallas. As a broadcaster, as a football player, Brian is a tremendous broadcaster. Oh, oh man, you're cutting out Baldy. Oh, hey, no, I'm not. Listen, he lasted 12 years in the league, so yeah. not for me to criticize him but he was you know gary was he was or he was he was a good backup he was Brian, a, not gary he Brian. was a really good backup yeah 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 okay 
I'm still avoiding those guys. Oh, and by the way, hold on. There's a disclaimer here, and it's the Herschel Walker disclaimer that I will use. Okay. He left Dallas, played one, two, three, four years in Indy before he came to Philadelphia. So Baldy had the opportunity to cleanse. Oh, to get himself cleaned up before yes, he came it's to Philadelphia. the same oh, like Herschel okay. Walker was very good for the Eagles and had played for the Cowboys. But, of course, Herschel needed was in the, Minnesota. Needed that Viking stay to right. be able to get over being a Cowboy at yes, one point before need, he you, came to Philadelphia. <laughs> yes, Jody. You need the the interim seasons, the intermittent seasons, <laughs> to wash the stank out of you. Okay, yeah. And I then come it. here. So it worked for Baldy, and it, and it worked for uh, uh, Herschel Walker. So that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk some baseball. We'll talk some football. We look forward to talking to you. 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Well, Jody, there's no Eagles game today, but there are a lot of games to watch and a lot of games to pick, and let's make our picks. We'll do a combined six-pack of picks today. Here we go. Jody Mack, you take one first. I get the fire first? All yeah. right. Um, I probably won't make any friends here with this election in Philadelphia, but – uh, I am kind of on record as probably being the biggest Brock Purdy fan in the city of brotherly love. Uh, a lot of people uh, didn't like the fact that the 49ers incorrectly, let me get on the record, stated that they would have won the game had Brock Purdy been able to play the entire game. I'll give you could have won the game, but when you substitute the C for a W, then you've overstepped your boundaries. And a bunch of 49er players, fans, media members did that. Shame on them for that. But that just added to the fact that Brock Purdy was the most underrated player in the National Football League last year. All he did was go out and win. All he did was go out and put up stats, but people couldn't move past the fact that he was Mr. Irrelevant and continued to treat him as such. Meanwhile, all he did was go undefeated before he got hurt in the championship game against the Eagles. So I'm a Brock Purdy guy. Oh, he's not going to be able to play. Tommy Johnson, he's going to be out for two years. He's back and ready to go by week one. Had an outstanding game for them in their opening week uh, win over the Steelers in Pittsburgh, where they dominated both offensively and defensively. I'm glad that the Rams won last week because now this game is only a touchdown favorite for the 49ers. And not only are they the only team in the NFC that I even put close to the Eagles level uh, going into the season, yeah, they look pretty damn good week number one, and I expect them to look good in week number two. And they've owned the Rams since the Rams moved back to L.A. And I had a uh, San Francisco preview guest for – uh, the game on my show last night. Mm-hmm. They're expecting the crowd to be anywhere from 55 to 65% 49er fans in L.A. today. They yeah. come down much like sure. the Eagles and take over that stadium. So even though it's a road game, it's like a home game, I'll take the 49ers to win by more than a touchdown. Today. All right. I like that. Uh, I'm going to pick a game. Actually, I, I just checked. This is the game that's going to be on locally on CBS at 1 o'clock, which is the 0-1 Chief against the 1-0 Jags. It's the Andy Reid-Doug Peterson Bowl. Looking forward to that now. Game one, of course, we saw the Chiefs lose the first game of the season that Thursday night. No Travis Kelsey, no Chris Jones. They're both back at practice. 
story I hear is they may see some limited work today, probably not a lot, but some. Listen, the Chiefs had receivers five drops the other day. Uh, the offense could not convert third downs. I think it's going to get a lot better than that. Chiefs defense had one sack against Detroit. I think it's going to get a lot better than that. I like the Jags. I like Doug Peterson's team. I don't think they've quite reached that level that real contenders have, uh, certainly of consistency. With credit to Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, I think this is the day when Patrick Mahomes rebounds from that loss. The Chiefs are giving three and a half in Jacksonville. I'll take the Chiefs to win and cover. I like your play, but if Jacksonville wins, you know what they become? The Colorado of the NFL. Yeah. Everyone will jump on that bandwagon. Sure. Mark my words. If they beat the Chiefs today, they'll become the Buffaloes of not the uh, Glenn's Buffaloes up there in Buffalo, not the Bills, but they'll become the Buffaloes, Colorado of the NFL. But I like your pick. All right. Number two for me is if I'm the biggest Brock Purdy fan uh, in town here in Philadelphia, I might be one of the biggest Tua Tungabaloa fans as well. Love them in Alabama. You can say it indicates that. Yes. Uh, loved him in Alabama. If he can stay on the field, the guy's just a flat-out winner. They have so many different weapons down there in Miami. I expect them to be able to move the ball against the uh, Belichick defense. They kept the Eagles in check last week, and they still won the game and covered. I expect the Miami Dolphins to do the exact same thing. They're a two-and-a-half-point favorite in New England, but much like the Eagles, they'll win the game by about a touchdown. So take the Dolphins and lay the two-and-a-half. All right, my second game is Detroit at home against the Seahawks. Again, it should be a good, interesting game in that I think after people talk about the Eagles, the Niners, the Cowboys, both Detroit and Seattle are seen as maybe that next tier of contenders. Uh, And the Lions have had 10 days to rest up and enjoy their opening win in Kansas City. Seattle's offensive line is banged up in front of Geno Smith. The Lions are going to get him. By the way, they, I love that Aiden Hutchinson kid. I think he's he's a star. He's he's dangerous. I think he's going to be a huge role in the game today. Uh, I think the Lions are going to poke at the Seattle defense. Uh, the Rams did it last week. The uh, I so I am taking. Excuse me. The Lions. I'm looking at the spread here. The Lions minus five. I'm going to take the Lions at home in Ford Field. To win and cover. All right, so we have one game where we're actually going to go against each other because I'm going to take the Seahawks plus the five. It's kind of a stick-to-your-guns prediction for me because before the season started, I called the Seahawks the third-best team in the NFC behind the Eagles and the 49ers. Then the drop-off, I actually had Seattle slightly ahead of both Detroit and Dallas. So I'm going to go back to the Seahawks. They're going to get the – Uh, starting cornerback that they took high in the first round this past week. And last week, Detroit, as you pointed out, did get a little bit of a helping hand off the hands of the Kansas City receivers. I don't know if they win the game, if uh, the Kansas City receivers can catch balls that were uh, ultimately catchable by Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think the Seahawks will do a better job of catching the ball and doing some things through the air. Geno Smith goes for about 250 today against that Detroit secondary. So I'll take uh, Detroit. If they only lose by a field goal, I'll take the W. Uh, but I actually think Seattle has a chance to win the game. All right, there you go. And my third pick, well, I'm going to go with the Bills. And I know people think it's, you know, a loyalty pick. And my dad's probably listening, so he'll be happy about this. But I, I just, 
That law, that was a travesty of a loss to, to your New York Jets last Sunday night. Uh, Josh Allen with four turnovers. You could see him sulking on the sideline. The Jets' defense is really good. I mean, they played incredibly well. But Josh Allen turning the ball over, and I know he's, he's got a history of it. I think he's going to have a bounce-back game. Uh, I don't know what the Raiders are. I'm not really big on their their coach. I know they lost Jacoby Myers, who's in concussion protocol. Actually, maybe he'll play, but last I checked, he was in concussion protocol. Uh, I think it's a bounce-back game for the Bills. I trust Sean McDermott more than Josh McDaniels. The Bills are favored at home by nine. I'm calling it double digits in Orchard Park, Jody Mack. Quick question for you on uh, the the Bills and their loss Monday night to the Jets and Aaron Rodgers going down. You and I haven't even discussed any of that. Can the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 win 10-9 to against the Cowboys today? Because if they're going to win the game, that's how they have to win. Maybe 12-10 to or somewhere thereabouts. Zach Wilson doesn't actually get into the end zone, but gets close enough after a couple short fields, turnovers, Dak can throw a pick, and uh, Sauce Gardner can get it. Can the Jets win 12-10 to over the Cowboys today? (laughs) Seventeen to fourteen on a pick six. How's there that? There you go. Exactly yeah, I, that's a that game is also televised locally at uh, four o'clock, and that's that's going to be a fascinating game because Dallas went into New York and just crushed the Giants. But I, I don't, I really don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know if it means Dallas is that good or the Giants are that bad or it was just one of those nights. The Jets had such high expectations. They lose Rodgers. Their defense and special teams win the game. I'm fascinated to see it. I, I hope the Jets can hang with them, and obviously I hope the Jets can beat them. So we will see. Let's work in Rich and Clifton Heights. You're on with Jody and Glenn. Hey, how's it going? How you guys doing? Good, Rich. Good. Uh, I, 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 had a, I had a couple of theories about you guys talking about Rogers. Firstly, I didn't see an injury on that hit. I mean, not for whatever it was say, Achilles or anything. I mean, I might have seen, I don't know, just not an Achilles. It just didn't Where, look like that bad of a hit. Where did you get your medical degree? I'm sorry. I, mean, I didn't say I had a medical degree. I'm just saying when I look at the replay of the hit, it just didn't look like, like a detrimental hit to him. And, and as far as Wilson goes, I, have, have I you, another quick guy. Quick question for you. Yeah. Have you ever seen non-contact injuries? Did you see Carson Wentz yeah, blow out yeah, his? Actually, no, no, actually, so, yeah, actually, no. So it can I, I happen a on a few... play where a player doesn't get hit hard but yet gets a severe injury. You do know that, right? Yeah, yes, I do. I, I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying I'm not saying it wasn't an injury. I'm just saying, looking at the hit, it just didn't look like Achilles. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just saying it just didn't look like a. Like yeah, a but that's the thing about Achilles. Uh, I mean, I've known a number of people who've who've ripped their Achilles, and and none of them has done it from getting hit. Most of them have done it just kind of running. It's a weird. Yeah, injury. or making a wrong ahead. move. Oh, yeah, and I understand. No, I yeah. understand. You make a wrong move or something like yep. that. And yep. as far as Jaden goes, I think I think. Uh, uh, listen, I don't know. Whoever was sending, however, them running plays were going. If you watched Minnesota's defense, there was a blitz threat, and then they dropped back for coverage. And picking that up was like one of the best things the Eagles have done this year. That running game was phenomenal because of because of the, they dropped back in coverage, and they kept doing it. Yep. It wasn't like they cut the line up to stop the run. It was uh, it was just a great game all around. And, and this I was, think it why, was a little confident. Yep, thank you. And this is why, Jody. You know, we'll see what Brian Johnson is about and what Sean Desai is about. And and I didn't love what I saw after the first quarter. I'm thinking, boy, I don't love this game plan at all. But I love the fact that they adapted. That if Minnesota is going to give you the run, you take the run, and it worked the rest of the night. Quick question for you before we go to break. Uh, you have had 
several lower body surgeries, correct, using the hockey term? Ten of them. Uh, upper body, lower body. How many? I've had 18, no, actually 19 surgeries on, on my body, yes. Ten knee surgeries, yes. And, uh, right. Uh, most of them more lower body than upper body, right? Ten, yeah. So I would call you an expert. In watching the video of Aaron Rodgers and that injury, yeah. did you see his Achilles reverberate on the play? Because in the mm-hmm. second half of that game, they're having Adam Schefter and the other guy putting out. You can see Aaron Rodgers' Achilles reverberate on the ISO slow motion replay. And I'm going, I didn't see a damn thing. What the hell are you talking about? All You're right. going 2020 hindsight and then looking back at Oh, you can see his Achilles reverberate. Really? Come on, Glenn, you are the lower body injury expert. Tell me you saw that same reverberation of Aaron uh, Rodgers' Achilles. I will tell you that both of my Achilles are still intact, which is few of few of my body parts which have not required surgery. But uh, like you, I just kind of saw him go down and just thought, oh, he went down. And I mean, you remember he's standing and then he just kind of sits just down. Just sat down, yeah. Yeah, and I, that, I didn't, I didn't, no, I didn't see it. I didn't, but it happens, man. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird, sad, tough injury that he resolves. He's going to come back from. It. And did, did you see the latest report last night? The surgery that Dr. Neil Elitrash did is a bridge surgery, mm-hmm. and they're suggesting that Rogers could be back by the playoffs. That'd be something to see. It'd be a great story. I'll be rooting for it, but yeah. uh, I, I, don't I don't know how that quite works. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk to our pal Todd Zalecki, find out what's going on with the Phillies, and take your calls. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, right here on 94 WIP. Hey, it's that time of year again to consider replacing your old drafty windows and doors before we start another long, cold winter season. Great people at Guided Door and Window, they're going to help. They're going to make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, well, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Jordan McDonald, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Uh, thrilled to be joined by our pal down in, uh, our, excuse me, out in St. Louis. Todd Zalecki is with us. Todd? Um, guys? want to start, hey, if Todd. we may, with just a couple of updates, if you can. First of all, I know um, you just were uh, with the manager. Don't know if there's any uh, news that came out of his office. But also, uh, the latest on Charlie Manuel, who uh, last reports we heard today were, were a little upbeat, which is good. Yeah, they, they, they are good. I don't know exactly what that means in terms of, you know, is he alert, is he talking, is, is he doing anything like that. But, well, I'm sure he's talking. Yeah, he can, he is. Yeah, he is. Um, but, yeah, encouraging reports yesterday, certainly with the press release, I think everybody kind of, you know, the concern was there and, and heightened based off the release. So to hear anything about any positive news, Good and talking to some people, it sounds like you know they are they're they're encouraged by what they saw over the last twelve hours. 
And was there any news out of the manager's office today? Right. Oh, any news out of the manager's office today? Um, no, no news out of the manager's office today um, in terms of lineups, bullpen usage, anything like that. It was pretty pretty low-key morning. Other than um, John Crook did not go to the Arch this morning. Oh, no. You guys saw that, yeah. So, That's probably the biggest news that came out of this morning. John Crook did not go to the Arch despite <laughs> saying that he would. Did he, did he have some, some kind of excuse? Well, their tickets are sold out, and apparently they could not get comps. <laughs> People tried to get John Cruck over to the Arch this morning, but apparently the Arch said we can't we can't accommodate you this morning. So maybe next year, maybe next year. Uh, that's if if and I'm sorry to dominate this, but it would have been such not that the Arch needs good PR, but my goodness, it would have been such great publicity in Philadelphia that would have traveled to St. Louis that may have even made some national impact. That thing was so funny last night. That's too bad they couldn't pull it off. Brilliant. It was brilliant. All right, a couple things. Number one, yeah, I was right. Craig, Craig, uh, Kruk reneged, which yeah, I knew he, he said, was going Joe, to he do. Said. And number two, uh, just a question for both you two Philadelphians. If it had been a Cardinal announcer who wanted to get into a famous Philadelphia outlet, I don't know, like the Liberty Bell, and you had to have a ticket to get in, do you think they, they would want the city of Philadelphia to bend over backwards and let a Cardinal announcer move to the front of the line? Or do you think they go, sorry, sold out, boom, slam the door in the Cardinal announcer's face? I absolutely I, – I think Philly is the type of city that embraces that stuff really well and does a great job with that I stuff. So I have a feeling if somebody had seen that down at the Constitution Center, they would have said – we will send a car over to you. Really? <laughs> you over. Oh, I think the exact opposite. No, I think it because it's great publicity for the Liberty Bell or whatever. And it's also, yes, it's an announcer, but John Crook's a very well-known former player and character. I Listen, if I was running a thing, if I was in charge of the Constitution Center or whatever, I would have absolutely wanted it to work. A, a little sidebar to that. So, you know, when you listen to the call, Scott Francie goes, Sundays from 9 to 6. And I asked him, I said, how did you know that those were the hours? He said the producer had looked it up and said in his headset, you know, it's open tomorrow from 9 to 6. And so he just took a flyer and assumed that the hours were correct. And they are correct. The, the arch is open today from 9 to 6. I thought that was a nice little touch at the end of that call. Fransky was great. He's great. He was. All right. Uh, question, I guess, since the manager isn't tipping his hand on much, so we need a Todd Zalecki opinion here. Uh, we talked about Ranger Suarez in the outing he had last night. It took him a bit to get through a couple of innings, but overall through an outstanding game. Here's my issue with Ranger. I think I want Ranger in the rotation come playoff time. Mm-hmm. But I also think I want Ranger in the bullpen come playoff <laughs> time. And you can't really have both, or can you? Can they come up with a hybrid role for Ranger Suarez come postseason time? Well, I think they could because they, they did it last year. You know, I think he made five postseason appearances. He started three. He got he closed out uh, game five of the NLCS, and then he pitched that big inning of uh, two-thirds innings of relief in game one of the World Series. So I think he absolutely could do that. But, yeah, I think right now they're looking at him as a starter. I asked Rob that yesterday. Do you see him more as a starter, more of that hybrid role? And with what Michael Lorenzen is doing right now, you know, I think he is going to end up in the bullpen at some point, um, you know, kind of in a Zach Eflin role, if you remember what the role that Zach played last year, not closing necessarily like Zach did because uh, the Phillies have better options now. But 
um, because of Lorenzen's involvement or, you know, presence on the roster, they, they see Ranger as more of a, you know, we can probably pencil this guy in to start. And, boy, they, they need some guys to start stepping up in this rotation because it has not been pretty lately. And they need somebody going into that postseason other than Zach Wheeler that they can really count on. Uh, Todd, you wrote, uh, or Rob Thompson told you last night that he's finished talking about postseason rosters, rotations, and lineups. It's yeah. superstitious, and also he he wants his players to focus on how we get in, which I, is great. Um, and you essentially wrote, "That's fine, but it's not, not going to stop anybody from wondering." Right. So I'm wondering, and and I mean, we're just to continue the talk. As bad as Aranola has been recently, and he's been more bad than good. Is there any possibility, any chance in a thousand, that the playoffs open and Aaron Nola is not in the rotation? I I would be very very surprised if he is not in the rotation, and because so you have Zach Wheeler, you have Ranger Suarez just throwing the ball pretty well. You have Christopher Sanchez who's actually been throwing the ball pretty well. He the, the Braves were really impressed with what they saw last Wednesday. Uh, from his changeup, an elite level changeup, but you know Tywin Walker has has not been that great. You know, as I said, Lorenzen's getting bumped into the into the bullpen, and for that reason, um, you know they they need some starters, and I still think that they believe that there's something in there from Aranola that he could go out there and give you a, a better chance of dominating and shutting down a team in the postseason than maybe. Walker could, or even Suarez could, um, Sanchez could. And so for that reason, I do think that he's going to make, make a start, and you just hope that he can get it figured out. You know, look, they, they, they were optimistic earlier this month. He had two really good starts in a row that he was starting to turn a corner. But then since then, he, hasn't, he has not pitched five innings in his last three starts. It's like the second longest mm-hmm. streak like that in his career, which is, which is troubling. I've got a question for you, Todd, that Glenn asked me at the top of the show. He pointed out that on uh, the season he's having, Alex Bohm is the 20th-ranked player on the Philadelphia Phillies in war. That his war is just 0.5. <laughs> I, I, I think I understand war, and there's some subjectivity to it, and I believe that I had a grasp on it, but I just flat-out don't understand this. How in a season where I think Alex Bohm has been a key contributor to the Phillies and has played good enough defense at both third and first base, how is his war only .5, and how is he the 20th war player on the Philadelphia Phillies? Yeah, great, great question, because certainly you watch him play and you say, yeah, not a great defender, but he's he's done okay. Now, but but war really does hammer you if if the however they go about figuring it out you know yeah Fangraphs war yeah baseball reference war baseball reference war you know the defense I guess kills you so I think that's why he's down there same thing with Kyle Schwarber you know now Kyle's hitting you know under 200 but he also has like 45 home runs and close to 100 RBIs he's also like just over zero in in terms of war and that's absolutely because of his defense you know he's arguably the worst defender in baseball or has been the worst defender in baseball this season so that is how i that is how i i look at it you know when he won uh when when bohm his rookie season i think he finished third for rookie of the year i think he had like zero war that year and that was because of his defense so but i the eye test to me the eye test to me says that alex 
Bohm has played better defense um, than the metrics. The metrics tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the metrics are dopey. I mean, you know, again, <laughs> if he's so, twenty, it's, it's, they're all over the board. You know, like you know, yeah. one, you know, one season a Gold Glover will have like, you know, eighteen defensive runs saved, and then the yes. next year he'll have one. It's like, wait, right. that guy got that bad all of a sudden, and then the next year he's back up to thirteen. So it's really hard to figure. I believe stats that are actually can be tracked: ERA, RBIs, things like that. And I believe my eyes when it comes to things like defense, and I think war, unfortunately, is kind of a mess. However, speaking of defense, I'm looking at today's lineup, and we've got uh, Brandon Marsh in center field with Castellanos in right, Schwarber in left, and Jake Cave in first. So it's they're not putting out the uh, the big defensive lineup today, are they? No, they're not. And I've been kind of arguing and trying to make a point that I don't care what the, the pitching matchup is. I want Johan Rojas in center field mm-hmm. every day. I don't care if he hits 150 the rest of the season. That guy steals so many runs and, uh, from the offense. It's crazy. But uh, they want to They want to – I think Harper wants the playoff start. I think you're going to see Harper at first base every day. But I think going into the playoffs, uh, they want to – you know, he had that back stiffness, that back soreness for a while. I think they just want to give him a blow every once in a while just to make sure, you know, even if nothing is necessarily there, that nothing starts popping up again. And now it's postseason time. And now you have, oh, my gosh, Harper's got a DH. Now we got to play Schwarber in left field. So I think that's why so – that, that is why Schwarber's in left field today, Harper's DHing, and, uh, you know – you know, they don't have Marsh and left and, and Rojas in center, which I think is their best defensive lineup. They're going against right-handers, so this yep, is the too. lineup that they kind of use against right-handers, so Martin, you get Caves bat in there. What is Pache going to do over the last two weeks of the season? Will the way he plays affect how much he will or won't be used in the playoffs? And I guess I'm asking Todd Zalecki because the manager's not going to comment on that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm getting your opinion on this, Todd. Is Pache going to be any kind of a factor come playoffs? I think he will. I think there's a situation where, you know, you'll you'll see him as a late-inning defensive replacement. Um, Potentially, you know, if if there's a need, you you can pinch hit. Uh, What I think you could see is Brandon Marsh, sixth, seventh inning, Billy's up a run, down a run, whatever the case may be. There's a big at-bat. A lefty comes in, faces Brandon Marsh. Christian Pache comes in and pitch hits for for Brandon Marsh. Uh, Rob Thompson has shown over the past, you know, a couple of weeks that that is something he will do. So I, I wouldn't expect that to stop. So I do see, I do see a postseason roster with, you know, all three of those, basically there are three center fielders, you know, uh, on the roster with Pache, Rojas and, and Marsh. All right. So Todd Zalecki, first of all, you should follow him on Twitter at Todd Zalecki, Z-O-L-E-C-K-I. But the other thing you should do, which I uh, really enjoy is you should subscribe to Todd's newsletter, Philly Beat which comes into my email every Saturday and is full of all kinds of good stories and interesting stuff. Todd, I'm four for five on the last five trivia quizzes. So I'm Are feeling, you? Yeah, Are I feel you? pretty That's good about good. myself. All right, I like that. I like that. You're your Immaculate Grid guy. I stole one the other day from Immaculate Grid. I love that. Great uh, trivia. Yeah, yes, I know you did. By the way, well, I don't want to say, today, bottom middle Immaculate Grid, which was Indians Athletics, I used a Hall of Famer who is not known for his work in the major leagues. 
Uh, Interesting. Okay. Yes. I'm gonna, I, when I get back to my laptop, I'm going to sit down and see if I can figure this out. Okay, and I posted it if, if, if you don't know. Oh, how, do okay. people, how do people subscribe to your great newsletter? So it's, uh, it, appears, it appears on Saturdays, uh, also Wednesdays. And so the story appears on phillies.com. The lead of that newsletter appears on phillies.com. There's a link at the top. It says click here to subscribe. You just click on it. Click on Phillies Beat. Give your email address, and you'll start getting it twice a week. And, uh, yeah, there's a, try to make it as some, some, put some different fun stuff in there for Phillies fans. Always a great read. Always nice to talk to you. Enjoy. Thanks for stopping by, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, right, Todd. There you go, Todd Zalecki. Good stuff. Good stuff. You still doing the grid, Joe? Here's my grid issue, and yep. it's mine and mine alone. I understand that. I don't know how much time I should take to do it. Mm-hmm. Because you, yeah, you punch it days. up, and then you look, and you think, 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 and you're trying to come up with a guy who's going to give you a low score because of it. And I end up spending 20-some-odd minutes yeah. just sitting done there it. thinking. And I'm I've going, I yeah. love it. I enjoy it. I want, yeah. But do I really want to take 20 minutes of my life to try and come up with a 70s guy who played for the Padres and the Expos slash Nationals. Yeah. And I, I, like, beat myself up after the fact if I come up with a bad guy who go oh, it's a 10 percentage point score. I could have come up with a point guy yeah. afterwards. It, it I, makes I me that. nuts is what it does. I do that. But then sometimes I'll just put it down and come back an hour later and, you know, whatever. Or I'll, I'll, I'll put it down and then all of a sudden I'm walking around doing nothing unrelated. I'll go, oh, my God, Ray Fossey. Uh, there you go. Who actually would have worked today, but I didn't use it. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with leading off and take your calls during that. 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now. 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.